Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of the Plastic Posse Podcast. I'm TJ Haller, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, hailing from the United Kingdom, the Duke of Lancaster himself, Ivan Jensen Taylor. <laughs> Buzzing in from the Beehive State is Scott Gentry and Doug Smith, and last but not least, from the Centennial State is John Bonani. Also joining us this evening is one of the single coolest guys on the planet, friend of the podcast, and multi-award winning modeler, Grant Mayberry. Hey guys. Hey Grant. How you guys doing? Better now that I see your face. <laughs> <laughs> so with uh, our introductions out of the way, let's hear what everyone else or hear what everyone has on the workbench. And we're going to start with you, Grant. Lately, I've been working on a couple small uh, vignettes because I will be traveling to uh, Omaha this year and flying, so I won't have a lot of room. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be just some uh, small little vignettes: a World War One trench and a carrier deck that I'm building for a jeep that was used on the USS uh, Wake Island during 1945 in Okinawa. That's about it. What about you, Ivan? I've started work on my three Tamiya F-14s. <laughs> I struggled last time with one of them. Now I'm doing three, but I'm doing it like an assembly line, and I'm doing the cockpits at the moment. And for me, that's the worst part of building aircraft. So at the minute, it's just not fun. And I'm using the Quintus Studio 3D printed decal sort of things. Um, they're really cool. They're really pretty. But unfortunately, these are for the Hasegawa kit, not the Tamiya kit. So just, just... It's like head against a brick wall at the minute. I just want that bit out of the way. Once the cockpit's done, I can actually get on with the fun stage of the build. But yeah, I'm just cracking on with those at the minute. So three Tamiya F-14s, hopefully to be done by the 1st of July. Yeah, they're cheating using those Quinta decals. That's cheating. They're not not designed for that kit, so it's technically uncheating. It's not (laughs) cheating. I don't don't have that as cheating. I'm just busting your balls. I think your new call sign's Iceman, because you've got to be cold as ice to do three of them. A lot of people out there are wondering how that's even possible. Well, as he showed us today, he has his own castle, so he's got plenty of room to work <laughs> on that shit. He's got people for the you know menial tasks of sanding road wheels and yeah, you know, I'll, 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 I'll put my people on it. <laughs> that's a really nice looking cake. JB, what do you got going on your bench? Oh, man, it's been pretty tough at work. So uh, I do have to acknowledge, I'm sorry, I've ignored a lot of people on Messenger, not by choice. um, But getting to the workbench has been hard the last two weeks. But I was able to get a base coat on a Sherman M4A2 small hatch. It's the Dragon Kit. Very nice. It's one of my oldest shelf queens. There's probably, oh boy, now there's five coats of paint on it. But I I was able to use the new lacquer paints from Tamiya. So they were really nice. I used the Olive Drab and I mixed it with their Dark Yellow 2. And that is their XF line. So that's mixing lacquer and XF. And I thought the finish came out really nice in terms of the surface texture. It was it was almost like a satin flat kind of coat and it really, really nice. I, I was a little hesitant about the lacquer paints. Like, why do I need these? And then after using them once with Mr. Leveling Thinner, you know, they spray super smooth. Uh, they work perfectly with the XF line, as I said, and they dry rather quickly. So if you're looking for a quick build and quick weathering, I would... I would go to these. These are, they're pretty sweet. They smell a little, but you know, you're going to wear a respirator and vent regardless uh, if you're spraying the XF line. In terms of PPE, I'd, I'd say the same. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with John. I used them for the first time in our 48-hour group build that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the episode. And I found them to, to spray extremely well. They go down really smooth. I would say at least as good as AK Real Colors, if not better really, really smooth. They do smell like John said, but um, I was really impressed with them. And in the 48 hour group build, uh, what was really handy is, I mean, they dry instantaneously, you know, very similar to, again, to 
AK Real Colors, but just it's excellent paint. I'm looking forward to using more of it. Doug, what's on your bench? Right now, the only thing that's got any progress on it is I've been working on my uh, Hazagawa A4M for the uh, Model Geeks group build. That's That was it. Um, haven't done a lot. I, I got a nasty cold, and every time I was working on something at the bench, it was like the, any kind of chemical was just aggravating my cough. So, so I took about a week and a half off and waited for that to clear up before I got back to anything. So working on seams right now on that Skyhawk. Oh, the fun part. Oh, yeah, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, what about you? So I've just really uh, been on a deep dive in 3D printing um, the last uh, two or three days really been doing a lot of research and actually a lot of work on slicing files. I bought a number of uh, STLs and I've been slicing those kind of for practice and you know not just learning how to use the slicer but why you put supports where you put them and what types of supports that you put. You know just doing lots and lots of research. I've done three sets of test prints so far. I feel like it's going really really well. Figured out a couple of things along the way, like my build plate doesn't like to be really, really cold or print doesn't want to stick to it. Just having an absolute blast with it. I'm super excited about some of the STLs I have. You know, I'm a sci-fi modeler like Doug and and TJ and uh, JB's fast becoming, but you know, the ability to get subjects that I've never dreamed I'd have a kid of is really, really cool. And then I actually picked up, John, one of those Star Wars Legion land speeders too that came yesterday. Got that out and checked that out. I was pretty excited to get that one. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Now, as far as me, I was telling you guys before we started uh, recording, um, I know JB mentioned it, uh, our last recording, I've been working on Asuka's M4A176. It's Castle Sherman 76. It's got the T23 original first pattern T23 turret my favorite version of the Sherman um it's really helped me get past whatever was going on with me where I couldn't really get any modeling done I think I'm doing really well on it the other day I went to take a picture of it with the crew members I had just painted which I was also moderately happy with I left it on my photography table which I never ever do I edited the pictures I sent them to you guys I went upstairs couple hours later after dinner, I came downstairs and I found it on the floor, upside down, pieces all over the place. And uh, I was speechless. I thought it was thought it was done for base reaction. This has never happened to me before. It wasn't. I've managed to fix it. I think I can pretty much hide all the damage. Luckily, it's in the most of it's in the running gear. So hide it with mud. But uh, yeah, it, that sucked. I was pretty upset about that. It, and it sucks when you're you're in the zone, you're feeling really good about the model, and then it's on the concrete floor uh, in multiple pieces that's not supposed to be in. So I haven't really touched it since then other than fixing it. Um, and also, I was at that weird spot, and I don't know if you guys, if this is like this for you guys, but I always get in this weird spot right before I start weathering where I'm not really sure what to do or where to take it because I feel like it looks, the paint looks good, everything looks really good, and if I start weathering, I'll ruin it, which to date has not happened i just always feel like it's going to and that's the stage that it's in right now so i'm hoping this weekend i don't have anything going on i can actually start weathering it yeah that's every build every build you get the beautiful paint job on it and then you're just like oh boy here we go so yeah every build 
We are proud to partner with Tankcraft. They're a fabulous company that makes the highest quality products. They have some incredible new products coming for 2022. New mats, new products, some incredibly cool stuff that they will be announcing very soon. In the meantime, check out tankcraft.com and see how one of their pro modeler mats and one of their awesome aluminum glue bases can really improve your workbench. It's time to send a shout out to the Posse Outriders. These are listeners who support the Posse by becoming Patreon contributors. If you would like to support the Triple P and become a Plastic Posse Outrider, it's really easy. Just head over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash Plastic Posse Podcast and set up a recurring donation here. There you can donate any amount you would like and the support helps us offset the cost of bringing you the Triple P. The Posse Outriders for episode 43 are Chris McLean, Jeremy Moore, The Voice of Bob, Steve Munsell, Lee Fogel, David Brian Bridges, Matthew Johnston, John Vitkus, Robert Morales, Jamie Stokes, Craig Jarbo, Jared Cowell, JC Osborne, Mike Bird, Jeremy Elliott, Mike Talley, Steve Baker, the mediocre middle-aged modeler, Dan Nofel, Rick Lewis, Eric DeGleish, Brian McFeeters, Bruce the Model Noob, Eric Semmelmayer, Matt O'Meara, Panzerman2010, the one and only Grant Maybury, Dave Wapples, Ethan Idenmill, Jamie Anderson, Steve Schaefer, and Rick Cooper. That is a ever-growing and amazing list of people. Well done, deputies. We really appreciate your support. Now, if anybody out there doesn't understand why we pay Ivan the big bucks, I mean, that that was it right there. I mean, what a professional. I've I've probably butchered 60% of our Patreon supporters' names, (laughs) but I tried in my accent. (laughs) Again, it was in an English accent, so even if I pronounced it wrong, it still sounds better than how I would say it. Every, Every one of them, when you said their name, they blushed. Yeah, I have a tear right here. <laughs> They're actually royalty now, basically. That's technically a knighthood. Yeah, yeah. All right. You can also make a one-time donation to the Posse via PayPal. To do this, just go to our website, plasticpossepodcast.buzzsprout.com. In the upper right-hand corner, just click the little heart icon, and then you can donate any amount you would like. You certainly don't have to donate, but we really do appreciate it. We also appreciate if you would support us by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcast. A five-star review really helps the posse be more visible to more people searching modeling podcasts. And if you are on YouTube, please stop by the Plastic Posse Podcast YouTube channel and subscribe. The Posse is just one of several great scale modeling podcasts that are out there. We're a member of a group of really terrific podcasts. And if you'd like to see a list of some of these, plus some other social media creators, head on over to modelpodcasts.com and you will find links to many of them. We also wanted to remind all of you that there are lots of ways to interact with us. You can email us at plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. Of course, we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plastic posse. You can also find us on Instagram at plastic posse podcast or Twitter at posse podcast or on YouTube, plastic posse podcast. Speaking of getting in touch with us, we had a couple of messages in our mailbox. So here you go with our feedback. We're going to start with Ray Davis. Our good friend from Sydney. G'day, I hope you've all been doing well. Just wanted to say that I really enjoyed listening to the back episodes 41 and 42. Those are our last ones, not so far back. The live stream interviews with both Fred and Marcus were definitely great to listen, for sure. Anyway, have to get back to the night shift. Yet another week of rain and flash flooding. Fun, fun. Uh, Take care, fellas, and keep sharing those awesome models that you build. Thanks, Ray, and you do the same. We want to see what you're building, too. Ah, Nick Pallet. 
hope I got that right, from our Instagram account. Hi, all at the Triple P. Absolutely love your podcast and the diverse range of topics. It's made me buy more kits of topics that I don't normally model. I'm blaming y'all equally, just so you know. I'm predominantly a 135th scale armor modeler, mainly World War II, but have started to branch out into modern subjects. Also bought my first Maschinenkrieger kit and a Bandai Valkyrie. I have OCD when it comes to model building. I can't build a kit out of the box knowing there are inaccuracies, but I'm prepared to fix them. Well, thanks for listening, Nick, and keep uh, keep sharing your pictures and stuff. We'd love to see more. Then we have Corey Hiltz. He says, uh, hey, Plastic Posse Podcast, there's a rumor that some of you might like Star Wars. All right, who started that one? <laughs> I've only started listening a few weeks ago, and I have to say that it's been a pretty good companion at the bench. It's also good on the trails with the dog so I can tire him out and get more uninterrupted bench time. Thanks and keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Corey, and welcome to the Posse. So before we move on, uh, I also got a message from his name is Callum on Instagram. He goes by Columbus.models and him and a bunch of his friends are armor modelers. They're young and they've started a podcast. So it's called Micro Machines Podcast. I just want to give them a shout out. They're just starting out. If you like armor, give them a little uh, listen. They're on pretty much all the platforms. Uh, YouTube and Instagram are kind of where they focus on. But anyway, um, Micro Machines Podcast. Give it a try. Remember that you can always email the posse and reach out to us on any social so of our social media platform. Thanks, Doug. Speaking of social media, we have our group build going on that has a Facebook group, the uh, Value Gear M3 M4 Sherman Lee group build, group build, and a little update on that. As of today, uh, which is April 8th, there are 16 completed entries, and a number of which are getting really close to being finished, including John's at least two of his builds, and there's a, a couple others too. And also cool, this weekend, the weekend we're recording, uh, the Amps Nationals is going on about three hours south of me. I couldn't make it, um, unfortunately, but I have already seen numerous pictures of two or three of uh, our people that are building, contributing builds to our group. They're they're down there on display. I know Jesse Naughton's uh, M4A376, which is fantastic, is down there. Scott Dimmick's, I think his was Chilean M50. Or M51, that's down there. And I know I saw at least one other. I can't remember who it is off the top of my head. Yeah, so um, it is getting frighteningly close to Nats um, in Omaha this year. There is less than 100 days as of this recording till Nats starts in Omaha. So for anyone listening that's going to build something for the group, if you haven't started yet, now would be time to start. If you have one started that you haven't finished yet, myself included. Uh, I should probably do that. And so should you, if you're listening, e even all told 16 entries that are going to be at the table, a minimum of 16 entries is fantastic. I, we couldn't ask for more. That 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 is just, that's so cool. It's pretty rare to see a group build with, or a group entry with that many you don't see it i mean the, the amps one from last year which was massive but i think other than that you don't really see anything that big which is it's, it's pretty neat it's very special one thing i will also add any uk guys who are doing a build for the build but won't be able to attend i'm more than happy to take your build with me i will have the space because it turns out i'm taking less than i thought so if you want to trust me to take your build with you i can do that just send me a message on facebook will you be taking um Daniel Brooker's model? Yes, if he uh, if he wants me to, I'm more than happy to take that and keep it and not give it him back. Time out. I already claimed it. <laughs> it's, just, it's just pump the brakes. 
I was going to take a short-term loan for it, put it in my art gallery, <laughs> and then when I go to Telford, I can return it. Uh, I'm going to arm wrestle you for that tank. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> it's one. It's one of the best things ever. Yeah. It's so good. I think he was, you know, essentially giving it to the posse. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I thought he was. But you know, there was an idea potentially of maybe auctioning some of these off and then donating the money to charity. So I think I think that's still a very real possibility, and and we'd love for you know the posse outriders and everybody to support it. So I think as we get close to Nats, we'll probably talk amongst ourselves and you know get cleared with everybody. I'll certainly donate a model. That's no problem at all, and you know I'd be happy to raise money for a worthy cause. So that that might be something in the future. Yeah, I'll be donating all of mine because I do not want to be bringing stuff back with me. It's hard enough getting it there. I don't want to bring it back. You, you just want more room for stuff that you're going to buy it now. <laughs> As well. <laughs> can only fit well, so many Twinkies in my hand luggage. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And, and speaking of Nats and group builds, also, you know, want to throw a bone to the Model Geeks uh, A4 group build. I know uh, JB was texting in uh, the Podcast Guild group chat um, today asking some questions to the geeks about A4s. I know I have my A4. Um, I am going to do it. I just, I got to get it. I like, <laughs> like John said in the, in the text, it's just looking at the pieces. Like it's like looking at hieroglyphics. Like they just don't make any sense to me. I just don't understand how you can open that box and make sense of anything you see in there. There's, there's no gun barrel. There's no, there's no tracks. It just doesn't work. What's, what's also killing me is like the decals. I got these Hasegawa decals that are thicker than the dictionary. And then <laughs> when I go try to find replacements, I'm on Sprue Brothers and one sheet is $36. I'm like, this is insane. You know, I could get a set of tracks for that. So, and then I look at exhaust and injection seats, you know, bottom line is I'll have a scooter done, but you know, fortunately I think Frodo, I'm going to call him out. He volunteered, I think some decals to me. So uh, if we put this in, in print or in, or in voice for the podcast, maybe that holds him to it. And I joking aside, (laughs) that would be a really, I would really appreciate that Frodo because it it has been hard to locate decals. I think I am going to do an Israeli one. Yeah, I'm going to build it with the ejection seat that Scott gave me. I think he gave me masks and a tailpipe, too. So I need to get on that. And it's a it's a cool little kit. Do, do we know of anybody? Does Quinta do a do a cockpit for it? More than likely. I, I do, actually fit. don't think they do. Uh, and if they do, you probably can't get it. It's a pretty small cockpit, though. I mean, I mean, if the if you can't get an IP for it, the I think the Hasegawa IP paints up really, really nice. Um, and like I said, there's just not a lot of space in there. And then also remember, like I said in the chat, John, if you uh, decide not to go Israeli, Draken runs those with the extended tailpipes on them. You know, the the ones that they fly as aggressors. So that's always mm-hmm. an option. Yeah. All I'm going to do for my my uh, Skyhawk build is um, for aftermarket is add a seat. The the cockpit's so small, I don't think it needs any more than that. I got a seat, and then I got the Edward photo etch. I guess I'll use it. I don't know. I'm a sucker for photo etch stuff in cockpits. So I was like, it was, wasn't that expensive. I was buying the seat anyway. So I was like, yeah, my, I'm going to justify spending money on the shipping. So I might as well just throw more crap in the, in the basket. So thank you, Screw Brothers. Well, we've been talking an awful lot, but as I mentioned earlier, we have a guest in here with us, and that would be the one, the only Grant Mayberry. So since he's here, let's go ahead and ask him some questions, Scott. Absolutely. Well, Grant, first of all, thank you very much, uh, not only for joining us today, but uh, you've really supported us when we did our 48-hour group build. You were there all weekend with us supporting Models for Heroes and the posse there, and you also flew out to Denver to hang with us at Commies Fest. And so uh, hopefully you're not getting tired of us yet. 
Well, it's a pleasure, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. And the only reason I went to Denver was the cupcakes. I swear to God, it's the only reason I went to Denver. <laughs> worth right. the flight. <laughs> All right. So, no pressure. Was it worth it? Uh, I was. I had a great, great time. I met one of my uh, longtime bucket list idols there that I never met before, but I had been on his site for a long time, and I, I met all you guys face to face again. Except for Ivan, of course. Uh, of course, you weren't there, but you know, what a I, bum. I, yeah, he was probably out <laughs> knighting somebody or buying a, a castle or something. But uh, you know, but it was a great time. It was a fun. The show was fantastic. Uh, had a, the, the the organization that put it on. It was unbelievable. You know, it was you know, and I don't want to talk too much about it. But the, you know, it's an all digital show. It was what that's the first time I've been involved with an all digital show for the the judging and everything. And I thought it went really well. It's a really great to see that. Um, and, and being with you guys all weekend was fun. I had a great time. And you needed like a wheelbarrow to carry out all your awards. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Uh, I, I did okay. I did okay. You guys all did well. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just for the record out there, Grant's stuff does not lack pedigree. So anyway. <laughs> it um, helps when you put $20 bills underneath your stuff. And stuff. It helps those uh, QR codes uh, read easier when you've got a $20 <laughs> bill taped to them. Yeah, exactly. Well, Grant, uh, for those of, uh, of our listeners that are out there that don't know you as well as we do, you know, one of the great parts about hanging with y'all weekend was really getting to know who you were, kind of your history, how you got started. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get started in modeling? And, you know, who is Grant Mayberry? Uh, I'm still trying to figure that last question out. I, I started modeling when I was like seven or eight years old. My dad got me into it. I was that kid that had no hand-eye coordination. So you'd throw a ball, it hit me square in the head, then five minutes later, I clapped my hands together. My dad was like, you know, we need to fix this if you want to play sports and stuff like that. So he started me modeling. My dad was a, a modeler when he lived on the Chesapeake Bay in the East Coast, and he used to carve and make wood uh, ships. And he got me started modeling at a Kmart. You guys remember Kmart. So um, my very first kit was a monogram M4A3 Calliope with the old Shep Payne sheet in it with the snow, the diorama with the snow, and the guy had the yellow pea behind the tree, and they were loading, making breakfast around the back of it. And that was my very first kit. And uh, I had, like everybody else, I built pretty much straight until I got to college. And then I was playing football in college, and I really didn't have too much time. So, and then, you know, I figured out what girls were and stuff like that. And I decided that they were more important for me at that time. Uh, like most of us do. After that, I joined the military. I, after graduating from college, um, served almost 20 years in the army. I was retired out of the military. Most of that time as a calf scout, uh, 19 Delta. And then I was injured pretty bad in Iraq with an IED. So, um, I couldn't do the job anymore because I had some bad leg injuries. So they made me an intelligence analyst, which <laughs> Scary. Uh, biggest, you know, they always say the biggest oxymoron is army intelligence. And uh, I can I am definitely proof of that. And then I just got back into it again. It, it's it's helped me a lot with my my injury and my stuff. And that's why I supported the, the 48 build so much. It's it's a fantastic organization. Those guys do a great job. I have nothing to do with their organization at all, but I'm going to sing all kind of praise about them. They did. They do a great job. They are some fantastic people. Plus, I got a really cool F4 phantom from them for like half the price. So I can't beat that because I won it on the auction. You know, other than that, that's that's pretty much who I am. I live out here in Southern California, the mecca, of, you know, high gas prices and extremely high housing. So that's about all. You mentioned <laughs> your military service. Um, mm -hmm. What, if any, role has that played in your model in your model making? 
it's played a big, big role, um, to tell you the truth. I use it. I used it at first because I, I, I do suffer from PTSD. I'm pretty sure most of you guys know that. So it does. It does help me get through that stressful times when I when I have those stressful times. Um, and a role is it, you know, and and everybody that donated kits during those conflicts, the Afghan and Iraq War, we did get them. We had mile. We had piles and piles of kits all over the place. Every place I went, and soldiers were building them. We were, you know, we would take time when we came back from patrols and work on that kind of stuff. You know, and I, I, I was in Afghanistan one, uh, twice, and I actually worked with a British unit, uh, the Desert Rats, actually. And the uh, we did some bottle building with those guys. Of course, they they built all the British stuff, so we couldn't build that. But they took all the Churchills and the tornadoes and all that from us and the Harriers. But um, we built pretty much we built stuff together with them, and that was pretty fun. And uh, but it's made a made a big impact in my life. And it's you know it's such a nice hobby where you can just go into a room and turn your brain off and just work. And I love it. It's it's great when we were driving around um, over at Commies Fest and you were kind of telling me about some of your, uh, um, I'll call them adventures in the military and you know what you saw and everything. It was really inspiring. And um, so first of all, I want to thank you for that service and the fact that, you know, you were wounded protecting all of us and uh, really, really uh, tip my hat to you there. But um, the fact that you continue to be engaged and looking out for your fellow veterans is really admirable. Uh, I, I really appreciate that, Scott. Yeah, I, I'm, and I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag. I'm actually trying to start a nonprofit here in Southern California, much like the model, the model programs, the models for heroes uh, they have in, in um, England. Uh, I want to build. I want to get kits. I want to get basic kits and mats and knives, and I want to send them to organizations that help veterans. Um, there's a lot of organizations out here in the states that do help them. There's uh, the Bahala Project. There's wounded warrior programs. There's other programs out there that you can send these things, these kits to, and send them a whole set so they could basically open the box and start working on the kit. You know, and send them a card and send them, you know, saying, "Hey, if you want to talk about this, here's where we can talk at it, talk about it." It's a little bit of a long process out here in Southern California to start a nonprofit, pretty much anywhere. But um, I'm in the process of starting something like that now. Like I said, really appreciate those efforts and. Uh... Our goal, uh, the model, model officers mess, James Skiffins and his crew, and, and then Malcolm, of course, with model, Models for Heroes. You know, their goal was to raise 1,500 pounds. And we actually ended up raising, I think, over 3,100 pounds um, over that weekend. It's a cause that we as the posse really believe in, will continue uh, to support. But the fact that our little hobby has, you know, some therapeutic uh, powers to it, can help people and uh, help get their minds off of some of the challenges and struggles that we all have um, is just incredible. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what you come up with and and uh, what we can do here in the States. And then I know you'll continue to be a supporter of them as well. Yeah. You know, Grant, I think that's a great idea. I, I'll make a bold claim. I'll say that, you know, maybe, maybe a first way to raise some money for you is, you know, the donation of some of these models from our group build and we can auction them off. I'm happy to do that for mine. And uh, I'd encourage anyone else uh, that's, that's, you know, participating or would like to help us out. If, if you can't donate, that's fine. Maybe you can bid and help us. And then also grant there, you know, I'll keep my eye out at swap meets. I'm going to one tomorrow, actually at Colpar. If I find a bunch of kits for cheap, I'll buy them, I'll keep them and just continually stockpile them. And then that way, when you're up and running, we can have a little bit of inventory to pull from and, 
And maybe we can even leverage some of our industry contacts to get some tools in your hands and, and help this out. Yeah, yeah, JB, I really do appreciate that. And, you know, I'm, I'm building a M5 or M1 Super Sherman for the Israeli Super Sherman for the group build, and I'm going to donate mine. So if anybody, you know, I might have to bid on it myself to get a bid started, but, you know, I'm no problem doing that. It wouldn't be the first time. Uh, and, uh, but I appreciate it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's anything, you know, is we could just start this small and build up. It's, you know, I've talked to people who have done organizations like this a lot and it, it starts small and it goes big. Mm-hmm. And as long as we, we, we keep it smart and we don't do anything crazy, we should be good. Appreciate the help. Yeah. And I can certainly leverage from an IPMS perspective, not only the national organization, but as we get closer to nationals and it's looking more concrete for the, for the, for the organization that you're starting. We'll get you front and center out at the nationals to, and, you know, I've seen even at shows, there's a box there where, mm-hmm. you know, people, if they win something at the raffle, if they pick something up cheap and they don't want it, they can easily donate it there. Now, granted, you're going to California, but again, I'll volunteer mm-hmm. to help out and I can transport the kits back to my place. When you start to get people to receive them, I am happy to support shipping them out locally here from Colorado. I think it's a worthy cause. And, and I think we'll get a lot of support because that, to be honest, that's lacking here in the States and something that we had, like you mentioned back in the early days of OIF, OEF, uh, it was a great thing. Models for troops model. And, you know, you saw the pictures of them in their desert camis. I mean, that was probably one of you got, one of you over there. So I I think it's great to kick it back off and, and certainly at probably one of the most important times in our country's history with people coming home from all that. Definitely. And it's, it's so important that we, you know, we reach out and help each other and it, you don't, it doesn't even have to be veterans. It can be anybody. I, I really don't care. It's, you know, if you have a problem and, and you want some help, Hey, you know, I'm here. We're all here for help. The modelers are here to help modelers, you know, and you find a group like this and everybody wants to help. That's, that's special. You know, and like I said, it doesn't have to be a veteran either. I mean, if you have some issues, first of all, find some help please. There's a lot of groups out there that can help you. And if you need something to do, I will definitely get you something in the mail ASAP. He means that by the way. Yeah. I, I, I mail a lot of stuff cause I, you know, I, <laughs> as some of you guys know, and I don't have a problem doing it. And I, and I learned in, in my service in the military is that you have to pay it forward. You know, I was lucky enough to have people support me and now I'm supporting other people. And that's what we need all need to do. Just pay it forward. Yeah, for sure. Well, one more, well, a couple more questions. Uh, first of all, we've got to ask you, we ask all of our guests, um, what's your magnum opus build? You know, what's your dream build? It can be a vignette. It can be a single model. What is that really big project you'd love to pull off one of these days? Oh, I was thinking about that. I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers, but the old Sherman in Action book from Squadron Signal Book, the, the original one, the first one for the Sherman. You open up the front cover, and one of the first pictures in there is a picture of it. I believe it's a tank company in Italy in 1945, and it's got like Shermans and M5s, and yeah, yeah and that, and they're and then they're in a piazza, sitting in a piazza of a uh, Italian village city, whatever. That to me has always been really cool because you have like M4A1s, you have straight up M4 direct, you know, direct vision ports, you have newer, M- and it's just a great, great image of all these different Shermans and, you know, all these different uh, vehicles that made up a company, or at least I believe it was a company of Sherman uh, in World War II, which would be, it's just a fantastic picture to me. And it's, that's always been one of my, uh, one of my wanna builds when I retire, I guess. That's, that's things that I think that's, one of the things I want to do. 
and I also have the uh, Millennium Falcon that was you you got like a part every month. I have the complete key, I have the complete one over two years or whatever it was with the stand and all that. And I want to build that. That's that's going to be fun. Yeah, and there's like every Sherman in the book is in that picture. I mean, every single different Sherman you could ever think of is in that picture. And there's M5 stewards and all these other vehicles and command vehicles, which is great. Hellcats that, that too. Yeah, Hellcats too. Last question, um, Grant. I know you've got your own social media presence, uh, May-King Miniatures. Tell us a little bit about that and where uh, people can find your social media content. Well, I, I, I do have a, a website on Facebook. It's called uh, May-King Miniatures, just like it sounds. Um, you can look it up. And I do a lot of uh, people send me stuff when the company send me other highlights when they're going to release new kits and i do some of my own stuff on there um it's just kind of a to get the word out for new stuff and stuff i see that i really like some of the stuff i've i've posted on there is like jb's uh some of jb's stuff where you guys are doing shows tj i did your sherman on there it was i love that m4a1 i'm sorry to hear that it took a bite but it, it you know that's a, that's a beautiful kit and uh, you know there's this guy from england that it's built a couple things that you know somewhat you know okay but you know i heard he's trying to tackle three of them so it's uh, his stuff has been on there too, but I, I I like to post my friend's stuff on there to get get a little bit more attention and stuff out there. I also have an Instagram page, same May hyphen uh, King Miniatures um, out there, and I also have a Twitter account under my name Grant Mayberry. So um, if you want to post the CCM stuff out there, that's uh, where I usually do. I also post pictures from our local meetings out here and our local shows in Southern California. So um, when we have them, so it's that's pretty much where I post all my stuff. That's uh, Grant Mayberry. He's one of the Posse Outriders. He's one of our good friends. He's an incredible modeler. He's got a, a huge heart. He's he's a great guy. So all the success with uh, not only your social media, but obviously uh, your charitable events. And can't wait to catch up with you at Nats. Uh, same to you guys, man. It's been a blast. Had a great time. Uh, you know, I can't wait to see you guys all at Nats and uh, talk tanks and talk shirt. You know, it's you know we won't. I don't know if we'll be able to watch. Uh, videos on the tv about making models and drinking diet coke or coke one but i mean <laughs> i think it'll be a fun time i'm gonna bring my fire stick so we can plug it into the hdmi cable throw night shift on maybe we'll even get a little projector in the atrium there and uh you know grab a six pack of coke zero and some mountain dew and just just crush it all night long and get high on sugar. You're going to need more than a six-pack of Coke Zero because you guys pounded two 12-packs in about three hours. I can't remember the last time I went to a, a, a house with a whole bunch of guys watching a drink that much Coke. No beer, very little beer, but it was all Diet Coke and Coke One. It was crazy. Well, the benefit for the Embassy Suites is, you know, they have the manager's happy hour and you're limited yeah. to two beers. I don't think that's a problem with most of us because yeah. they got, you know, the Coke tap that's endless. So, yeah. you know, we can, we can just get a bucket and then bring it over to the table and, I'll, you know, maybe TJ and I'll steal your drink tickets and then we'll yeah. get Ivan liquored up too to really go around and throw his English accent at people. Yeah, I, I, I will be off uh, auctioning off my two beer minimum tickets so we can make it <laughs> extra money so for everybody there <laughs> i hear the canadians are bringing their funny money to bid on it so <laughs> why does it have a moose on it <laughs> that was great grant thank you part of the other reason why you're here is because one of the things we wanted to talk about was james skiffin's um 48 hour four i'm sorry 48 and 48 group build um, that he ran through his Facebook group called the Model Officers Mess. And those of you who don't know, James Giffins is, is one of the hosts of 
just making conversation. Um, he's over there in Ivan's part of the world. Uh, super cool guy. James is one of the one of the coolest guys. And um, he like he's been hosting 48 hour group builds for the last couple of years where you build a 48 scale kit in 48 hours and you do it for charity for Models for Heroes, which we've already we, we just talked about. And everyone here on the podcast tonight uh, participated and we all finished in 48 hours. All six of us on this podcast right now finished in, in 48 hours. I know me for me personally, it was fantastic. I had a great time. Um, I didn't know if I was going to do it this year. I barely managed to get in last year and I built a little tiny motorcycle that was like the size of a thimble. It's no bigger than a thimble. And um, this year I built um, Suyatas. I guess that's how you say it. I think they're owned by Tacom. They're Gaz Tiger, which comes with their uh, one quarter or 148 scale T90A. I was going to build the T90, but I built a lot of tanks. I haven't built a lot of things with wheels. So it's like, I'll build the, I'll build the, the tiger. And it was really fun. I had, a, I had a great time. I finished it, knocked it out really quick. I even painted the inside, which was a total waste of time because you can't see it. And then I even built a little base for it, which I want to say was John's idea. I did that on Sunday. So I was done with the model Sunday, built the base for it Sunday afternoon. And that was it. We finished by eight o'clock Eastern time. So I'll kick it around the room to everybody. Yeah, tell us what you built and your experience in the builds. We'll start with you, Scott. I built uh, one of those uh, Star Wars Legion kits. Um, several of us did that. Really fantastic. Mine was the escape pod from the Corellian Corvette that had R2 and 3PO kind of at the start of Star Wars. And um, great little kit, 48. It's actually 47 scale. You know, it's like a gaming scale, but really, really nice model. Surprisingly detailed for the size. The droids were great in 48 scale as well. So I really enjoyed it. Came with a base and uh, got to use, as I mentioned, some Tamiya LP paints for the first time. LP 11, which I can confirm is probably the greatest uh, silver paint ever. It's fantastic, as well as some off off white and blue and a couple of colors. So yeah, it was great. I used uh, metallic gold from Goons on 3PO that turned out really good. Really just had a great time. But you know, for me, uh, the model building is great, and I love the focus on finishing. But it was great building with a group. You know, building with all of you guys and a few other friends, and seeing the projects round into shape. I mean, TJ's Tiger that he was just talking about the uh, the camouflage on it was just stunning so anyway great event like i I said earlier we're big supporters of james and malcolm and this this event you'll continue to see the posse be involved in this um year over year and uh anyway just just terrific lots of fun lots of fun yeah for me the the group build was an opportunity to do not one but two and i kind of piggybacked off of scott on the sense for legion so those those kits are absolutely fantastic i built the droid tank which Honestly, it was a really cool kit after I got some of the major scenes, you know, fixed Friday night and primed on Friday night. So that that was an absolute fun kit. It's not cheap. You know, it's 60 bucks. But again, it's it supports a game. But the the kit is really nice. It, it builds up probably about the size, a little bit bigger than a, you know, 35th scale Tiger tank. So it's it doesn't it, it's going to you know, it's going to command some presence on the table, which is really cool. And I have a base I'm making for it. And I was really happy how it turned out, just mixing up random tans for it. And then the second one, because one is not good enough, I built I built the T-47 uh, airspeeder. So basically, it's like a snowspeeder, 
but that that I cheated on that one. That that essentially came in six pieces. There's no cockpit interior. It was purely a painting exercise, and it was really fun. It was a really nice model. I I actually really enjoyed building it. I thought, you know, it, it was again a slammer build in a sense, and just concentrating on painting grays and and crank that out too. So overall, really fun time. I honestly think the best time was, you know, not only we had our our video conference going during our sections of the event, but before and after we were like, well, we're not done building. So keeping it going with all of us here was a lot of fun too. And we had Robbie Knopf's in the room. And again, I think that was a, one of the favorite aspects of it. And, and certainly I look forward to something else like that in the future and, and maybe just uh, incentivizes us doing build nights every once in a while, who's ever available on a Friday or Saturday, just jump on and crank. I'll pass the torch off to Sir Ivan. I did a Tamiya 148 uh, T3485. A simply beautiful kit. It, it's, it, it's, it's that good. I even bitched about it. It was during my 5 a.m. semi-consciousness where I realized I'd, I'd got the tracks on the wrong side and back to front and upside down. Apart from that, the kit's perfect. Well, the kit is perfect. It was just me being half awake. Really, really nice kit. I did it on a little vignette with some resin water. I don't know. I, I never decided I wanted to do that. That was James putting me on the spot saying, you've got to do something special. I was like, you know what? I will. I use two-part epoxy resin water and it turned to caramel. It, it went weird because I didn't leave it long enough to cure. It went quite fudgy, but it's dry now. It looks quite cool. I learned a few things about my own modeling in that 48 hours. I learned that acrylic filters by Ammo are amazing. They are really good. I also learned that, well, something that TJ has been saying forever, her dryers just save the day. <laughs> they let you crack on and get builds done really fast. And it's weird. I'm a really slow builder and I managed to do all that in 48 hours. And I think what helped that was like chatting to all you guys doing the social aspect of it. None of it felt like effort. It was just an incredibly fun 48 hours, just chatting, chatting to all of you a lot, chatting to people watching, building, just getting on with it. It was really fun. And none of it felt like it was effort. It was just really enjoyable. And we all got to do it for a really good cause. So it was like just a win-win. There was a no, I couldn't complain about any of it because I've done 48, hours uh, 48 hour builds before and I've always found them a bit strenuous, but this just felt so easy, so relaxed and so enjoyable. I really couldn't fault the weekend. What about you, Doug? What did you well, build and how um, much fun did you have? I could have had more fun and only because I alluded to earlier, I had a cold, I had a really bad cough and Friday night, as I was putting together, I did the Tamiya 48 scale M1A2, and it's a great kit, but there was a lot of gluing going on, and my cough got worse and worse as the night went on. And I finally figured out sometime Saturday that I was aggravating this cough with the with the fumes from the glue and anything else I was using. So when I painted, fortunately, I mean, I, I use a spray booth and I have a respirator, but <laughs> I really had a blast, except I was muted through most of it just because I was coughing so much. But the kit itself, man, it's to me, what can I say? It's it's nearly perfect. Had a few more parts than I'm used to on their 48 scale stuff, because usually I'm doing World War II. They're a little smaller and uh, and uh, I think a little simpler. This was a little more complex, but it was fun. Hit it with some uh, the uh, Mr. Servicer Mahogany Primer and went over it with the AK. What is it? Uh, I've got it here. It's Kark Tan. And uh, yeah, between the weathering after that, using filters and stuff over the oils that I used. Yeah, I think it came out pretty, pretty well, especially for me. I just... I, I was, I'm pleased. I had a good time. It was fun talking to everybody and uh, spending the weekend uh, building kits. And last but certainly not least, Grant, what did you build? 
I also joined the Tamaya train and I built the uh, two and a half ton truck, the deuce and a half. I built it with, uh, I 3D designed and printed off some 4.5 millimeter rockets, launchers and the rockets themselves that went on the back and uh, kind of converted it to one they used in 45 that they were testing in uh, one of the Marine place uh, bases here on the West Coast uh, to see if it would work. It was fun. I had a, I mean, like I said, the, the, the best part was like when we were just building, having fun in the group. And I was like, every morning I was waiting, like, who's opening the room first? Who's opening the room first? Because I'm, you know, it was just a great, great time and seeing all the work that you guys, your TJ, your tiger was beautiful. I mean, that was for 48 hours. That was fantastic. I mean, it was just beautiful. And the, and the Star Wars stuff and, you know, it was, it was phenomenal. And seeing what everybody else was building, the Australian teams and the, you know, the, the guys from England and the guys from all over the world these for a great cause. And it was just, it was a great time. And we had a great raffle. Like I said, I won an F4 Phantom and 148 scale, the new Tamaya kit. It just can't beat that at all. You know, and we raised a lot of a lot of money for a great cause. And it was just fun to see, you know, the weekend was like that to me. It just it just went. It was my wife was like, I haven't seen you in like two days. <laughs> so, you know, it's crazy, but it was fun. We had a great time. I had a really good time. Yeah, you mentioned the auction grant. I wasn't letting the snow get away from me. <laughs> I was prepared to go to a hundred dollars. Or some Should've serious sniper going. Should have called your bluff. <laughs> yeah. I thought about it. <laughs> I'm just disappointed I missed out on the, you know, the Star Wars guy up front. That yeah. went for a song. Uh, yeah. So that, you know, the, the, the winner of that got away with one, but we made, a, we made sure everybody was paying after that. Yeah, it was funny how that started out really kind of slow. I think people weren't really into the spirit of it, but when you get a couple of guys going after each other and sniping, that kind of makes it fun all of a sudden, and it ended up being a lot of fun. The the lots of the UK auction were also really really good. Yeah, I mean not that not that the American lots weren't they were great, but the UK lots they had like four lots of Rubicon models, and uh, if, uh, we probably I think we've talked about them before, but they make them for bolt action, so they're uh, one fifty six scale, a twenty eight millimeter, and they are uh, they're they're model kits essentially. They're not they're not like wargaming toys like a lot of these other ones are. They're legit. Like they even make a couple that have full interiors, which you don't need for war gaming, but the details there, they're, they're, they're so good. And they make everything. They make so many interesting vehicles because they're for a game. So you can use whatever you want. Who cares? Um, yeah, they were, they gave away, I don't know, probably almost 20 of them in, in different lots. It was, it was crazy. Some really good ones too. Yeah, we had great sponsorship. Tamiya USA threw in an Ashorn and that F4 that Grant ended up winning. And um, I had a lot of the prizes here and shipped them. And, you know, everybody got a, a few little extra extras in their package. I can't wait to uh, hear from James on the guy that won the value gear box because it was kind of a mystery. And Steve hooked us up. I mean, they got, I mean, probably almost 200 bucks worth of resin and they got sets that Steve hasn't even released yet and uh they're gonna open that box and go oh my gosh so that's what steve does <laughs> steve hooked me up with uh, a whole box of resin earlier this week uh he wanted to hand deliver it to me um at amps but i couldn't make it so it's like i'll just drop it in the mail and i got it wednesday and it's uh i opened it up and it's just there's resin exploded all over my my uh <laughs> my kitchen island and my wife's looking at him like, he just gave me all these. I didn't even ask. Like, <laughs> I literally didn't even ask for these. And he was just like, oh, here, take them. I got one of the new M18 Hellcat sets, which I don't think are out yet. 
Nope. I don't, th- I don't think he's started selling those yet. So I got one. I haven't, uh, I haven't built the M18 yet that our good friend Grant hooked me up with because he's the best, but it will be going on uh, on that model. Steve's a boss. You know, I, I saw some photographs from AMPs that's currently ongoing and Jackson was hanging out at his table and seeing him work his magic because Steve does the demo areas that we're going to crash at Nationals. So, you know, we certainly owe Steve a lot. I don't think he's going to be buying much in terms of food or beverages when we're in when we're in Omaha. So we'll, we'll take care of him as long as he has his boss man gray shirt on. I don't know if our <laughs> listeners ever noticed, but check out Steve. He's got a, he's like Steve Jobs, where instead of that black turtleneck, he's always got that boss man gray t-shirt on because he doesn't want to cloud his vision when he's thinking about stowage. You know, he, he's a creature of habit, so he can really concentrate all of his energy, focus, and imagination on the stowage and tarps that he's making for our little toys. Tankcraft really came through as well. Somebody, yeah. uh, Somebody got a glue base for a steel, and also somebody got to pick whichever uh, 12 by 18 uh, Tankcraft mat they wanted, and Tankcraft picked up the shipping on the. I mean, just we're probably sounding like a broken record, but great event, great sponsors, great partnership, just tons of fun. Off the top of my head, I want to say that that participants worldwide on the group build was 66, and with like 40 kits finished in 48 hours, so... It was it was a big turnout and a lot of people doing a lot of good work. Speaking of a lot of fun, um, over in our Plastic Posse group, after last episode dropped and we talked about our level up builds, which again, if if you were kind of unclear or you didn't listen to last the last episode, a level up build is the idea that progression isn't always linear. And a lot of times it's as our friend Jonathan put it and Stephen Jay Gould came up with as punctuated equilibrium where a lot of things stay the same all of a sudden a bunch of things change all at once i had that idea because i've noticed that's how my scale modeling journey has been and i feel like that's pretty common and it was the the one model or a model where you move your skill to the next level for with whatever it was it could have been anything it's not even you know the thing you did last that is so good it could have been something you did 20 years ago that you know you pushed you to the next level in modeling and um we <laughs> jokingly threw out there oh you know post with hashtag level up build in our group well people did and it was pretty rad um i think we had as of tonight we had 71 posts in the group with that hashtag which is pretty freaking sweet i'm not even gonna act like it's not yeah it was it was just really cool going through the the group and seeing everyone you know choosing the, the that one build or some people choose more than one which was fine that's there's no rule that you had to just pick one um i know i could pick a few from my scale modeling but um yeah just seeing a bunch of people choosing their their, their level up build and and then telling a story about why they think that and or what you know why it's special to them it was it was really cool it, like i don't know I, I i got so much enjoyment out of reading what everyone had to say it was it was fantastic yeah, seeing like Luftrom's uh, BF-109 that was so stellar and seeing Ivan's F-14. And it was fun. Even even some of the posse were like, you know, talking about some of John's builds that they thought were the level up builds. You know, it was a, it was a great topic and had a lot of awesome participation, incredible photos. If you guys haven't been over to the group, I'd encourage you to go check those out because there's a lot of really amazing modelers out there that posted some great work. Yeah, and I appreciated the personal stories with him, you know, as they talked about not only how the model influenced their style and pushed their technique, but also their personal stories as well, and maybe what it connected them to and what they remember from it. So I, I thought it was a great, great topic. And, and you know, certainly we'll, we'll look for another one that, that draws that much participation because I loved it. And I saw a lot of stuff I've never seen before. 
Peter Fizlowski's uh, T80 or, you know, I'm going to butcher it, but, you know, it was really well done and something I'd never seen before. And also seeing some classic builds, Robbie Knopf, Sturm Tiger coming out of the woodwork, which I remember that I think that was the first build I was introduced to him through and his YouTube channel. So again, personal stories like that, I thought were, were really great and really shows the community that we have. How about Alex Clark's 172nd scale of Yag Tiger with the scratch build interior? Get him the hell from, out of here. From 2005. Dude. 2005. <laughs> that Ridiculous. Guy is a gangster. He, you know, his stuff, I remember from the good old days of Missing Links, Network 54. And then his stuff was also in the first issues of AFE Modeler. I would say he's the gold standard for Braille skill. But yeah, that Yog Tiger is still holds up today. You could enter it in a contest and it, it's still in terms of style and finish and finesse. It's, uh, yeah, epic. Um, earlier this year, John Scott and TJ had a chance to speak with a fantastic and very talented miniature painter, Lila Mev. Uh, so I'll turn it over to you guys. Uh, but before I do, I just want to give everyone a little bit of a heads up that this uh, interview might not be suitable for children. So just going to give you that little advance warning just before we roll into it. But uh, you guys had the pleasure of uh, doing this interview. Uh, what did you all think of it? Oh, she's incredibly articulate. Um, she's obviously a fantastic painter. I think we did the this interview just a few weeks ago, and she had like 57,000 subs on YouTube. And as I was editing it a couple of days ago, she's already up to like 66,000. So I'm, I think she's a person that's really going to be a force to be reckoned with. But she was um, really, really had a vibrant character about her. Um, she knows what she wants. TJ well, was familiar with her work uh, before we were, but I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. John, uh, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was great. Lila is a, a fantastic personality to talk to and, it, you know, talked about a little bit more than just technique but more of you know who she is in the hobby how she you know approaches it and you know breaking some down the you know the cultural norms that have been around for a while so it's it's really interesting it was a great talk actually i really enjoyed every aspect of it she's a badass i i don't think that's any secret and you know it's it's really cool to watch her evolve through those videos as you mentioned scott you know she's posting frequent content you know pushing her skills and then also pushing the stories behind her builds as well and you know, the personalities in her videos are really cool too. So if, if you haven't listened to them, I would highly recommend people go over to YouTube, definitely click on her channel and, and watch them. You'll learn something, you'll get a chuckle, and then you'll also get to know her cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had a great time. I think I mentioned in the interview, I'm a big fan of hers. Um, I've been subscribed to her channel for almost as long as she's had it. Love her videos. And it was great because, you know, who you see in her videos that's who she is and that kind of authenticity for me is invaluable you know she is exactly who she is and i appreciate that and i think she's great and, and her minis are damn good so i you know it was it was cool i had a really good time i was so glad um we got to talk to her um i think we mentioned it before you know we like talking to people that don't just build tanks and airplanes sometimes you know because i don't build just those so um you know in crossing those bridges is, is important i think and it's all at the end of the day it's all the same hobby you know we kind of look at it maybe a little bit different but at the same time it we're, we're building plastic toys i mean that's all there is to it so yeah, I was um, first introduced to her videos. Uh, Scott sent me a video three months back, and it was the first line in the video. It was, are you scared to F things up? I was like, yeah, this, this video is instantly relevant to me. And it told me some truths I really needed to hear. But yeah, like you said, in the videos, she's brutally honest, and she'll tell you stuff you really need to hear. I really like the style. I really like her approach to the, to the hobby. 
yeah, so I really enjoy your videos. And um, so here's the interview. Hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome to another Plastic Posse podcast interview. We are very excited to have mini painter Lila Mev, the mini witch, joining us. How are you, Lila? I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself? Doing really, really well. Well, we are excited to talk to you. Huge fans of your YouTube channel, The Mini Witch. Tell us a little bit about how um, you got started on YouTube. How I got started on YouTube? Well, honestly, it's because I didn't do enough market research. Um, I <laughs> wanted to start teaching miniature painting. Uh, I am a, or I have in the past been a college professor. I have my master's in fine arts and I absolutely love teaching, but finding a job teaching photography at the collegiate level is extremely difficult. So I had this drive to teach and uh, happened to have mini painting as a skill. So I decided to do that instead. Uh, and I looked on YouTube and I saw that there were a handful of mini painters on YouTube. There was Squidmar and Miniac and Black Magic Crafts. And I thought, well, there's only like those three. I'm sure I could make a niche for myself. <laughs> 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 and so, uh, yeah, thinking that there were only like three other mini painters on YouTube, I thought that I could you know, make a spot for myself, not realizing the probably hundreds of people <laughs> trying to do this on YouTube. So really, it's just been luck and uh, poor research skills. How did you uh, get into this, Lila, like originally? Um, what was your entry point? What got you motivated? Uh, what got me motivated into miniature painting was that my husband dragged me into playing Dungeons and Dragons. Nice. I didn't want to. Uh, I thought that it was lame, and I had far better things to do. <laughs> but uh, he convinced me to try one session. I told him I would try one session, very low commitment. And then I completely fell in love. It only took the one session for me to fall completely in love. But so that was three years ago. Yeah, about three years ago. So, uh, Serious? You've been doing this for three years? I think, yep. Maybe four, but yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. I have my master's in uh, fine art photography, and I definitely think that my uh, art background, my art background has influenced my miniature painting a lot. And the fact that I have taught at the collegiate level, I have, I am not currently, but have been a art professor definitely helps with my teaching as well. Three years ago, you start painting with your husband. How did you learn? What? And, and, and I'm interested to understand, like, as someone coming in, it's like a, coming in with a cold open. Where did you start? I, I would be overwhelmed with the amount of information out there, not even knowing where to look. Uh, so the first miniature I painted was from uh, Reaper, I believe. And it is this knight in shining armor holding this axe that's on fire. And I painted it with metallic paint because that's what my hobby store had. And then immediately tried painting all of the reflections of the fire because that's realistically how it would look. And I had no concept of object source lighting is difficult. It was just very simply, this is how it would look. So this is what I'm going to paint. And so I went at it with a very, uh, I, due to my art background, I can see, re see really well, like understanding light and shadows and how colors reflect. And so I went in with this already very solid art background 
So I didn't go into this with the, with the idea that objects are sliding is hard and I should wait. I went in immediately saying, well, there's fire on this model, so I need to paint fire. Um, but I painted my first model with the silver metallic paint and absolutely hated it and decided that the next thing I needed to learn was non-metallic metal because I was so disappointed in how the metallic paint looked. <laughs> and uh, because I went into this wanting basically to create art, I'm a, I'm a severe perfectionist. Uh, so I went in wanting to make these look as realistic as possible. So I started diving into the really difficult stuff immediately because that's reality and so that's what i wanted to paint first miniature john she's painting the reflections of fire and metallic <laughs> it's unbelievable yeah meanwhile i'm grabbing a rattle can and just yeah, serious. Green. oh it looks like looks like olive drab that's close enough no that's really interesting so you bring up going to your local hobby shop do you do you have a place nearby that you can get this material from or did you find yourself buying it online uh, I started out going to my local hobby shop. Uh, it's within walking distance of my house, and they are absolutely wonderful. I would tell you where it is, but I don't want to dox myself. But so uh, <laughs> in central Illinois, there are some fantastic uh, gaming stores that I highly recommend looking at. Uh, but they only had Citadel paint, so I bought everything Citadel and then became extremely frustrated because I thought the paint sucked. Yeah. <laughs> and I basically ran into all the problems that everyone talks about, but... Just starting at the beginning, not I didn't look up anything. I didn't think to look on YouTube. I didn't really know YouTube uh, mini painting was a thing on YouTube until I decided that maybe I wanted to go do this. Mm -hmm. So I basically ran into all of the walls that everyone talks about, but just went blind and continued to run into the wall until I figured out something that worked. <laughs> and I really wish someone would have told me that other paints existed before <laughs> I suffered through Citadel paint for several months. And then eventually I did realize that there are other paints and that was a whole, this whole new world opened up to me when I learned that there was something beyond Citadel paints and washes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No oil. You can only take so much of that, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so for paints, you I've seen some of your videos looking like Vallejo, Reaper. Scale 75, right? Scale 75. Oh, uh, my favorite paint is Chimera. Okay. Chimera. Oh, interesting. I haven't even heard of that. Oh, God. It's so good. It's single pigment, okay. which means that uh, it's pure color. So if you want to mix colors together, since they're all, it's single pigment plus single pigment, which is going to create a more pure color. Whereas if you mix colors from uh, Reaper or Citadel, since there are so many other pigments that make up that paint, you can't always predict the reaction that's going to happen. Oh, interesting. Chimera is very expensive. Well, decently expensive and very hard to get a hold of. So yeah. I absolutely love it. Their magenta is fantastic. And magenta is my favorite color. And it is a, am I allowed to swear? Go ahead. Go <laughs> it's ahead. It's the best to work with. <laughs> if you like to work with fluorescent colors and you want just a fantastic consist well not consistency you do need to thin it but fantastic opacity chimera is amazing okay uh, for beginners i recommend reaper just okay. because i think that you can use it straight out of the bottle and if you want to get into thinning you can but for someone who just wants to start out i don't know what i am doing i think reaper is a good consistency to start with so Chimera, I, I'm looking at their website it looks like they're out of the the eu somewhere i would assume mm-hmm and, you know, for us non-miniature painters, when you say expensive, you know, for a typical bottle of paint, 
what is that going to cost? 10, 12 bucks? Well, Chimera, I think a single bottle is eight, seven, dollars okay. Whereas, okay. but Reaper's like three. Right, right. Us armor modelers, I, and I mean, even military modelers, I think eight bucks is palpable because we buy weathering solutions that are just about the same price. So. Chimera goes such a long way. It's very thick in consistency, so yeah. you need to thin it down quite a bit. But that means that you can put on the tiniest, like half a pea size, thin yeah. it down, and then you'll probably get all the paint that you need. So for for Chimera, are you thinning with regular tap water, distilled water, uh, adding any retarder with your paints? Um, I have a glaze medium from Vallejo that I use when I want to do glazes. In my opinion, the glaze medium helps suspend the pigments more evenly, uh, but otherwise I just use water. Okay. Because I know there's some purists out there that always yell, use distilled water. And I'm like, well, I've used, I don't know, I find there's not a huge difference, right, between that and tap water? I've never used distilled water, so (laughs) perhaps I could try it and see the light. But then I also don't know if I want to, because that sounds like a really big commitment and hassle. So it might just be better not to know what I might be missing so I can continue how I'm going. Yeah, for sure. I was lucky enough to have a patron send me all three box sets of Chimera because they're very hard to get your hands on. And I had been looking for it, but apparently one of my patrons had secretly been keeping an eye on it to see when they restocked. And uh, the day they restocked, they uh, emailed me saying, hey, I bought you all three boxes. Where am I sending this? (laughs) Dang. (laughs) Yeah, I was. That's awesome. I was not at all expecting it, but was so excited. Picked out some videos that, you know, we've all found inspirational, instructional, and and just downright, you know, fun to watch. And and they've been very popular with, with your following, you know. The first one really that stick, stuck out to us was, uh, I'm going to read the title, Hey You, Worried You, worried you Suck at Miniature Painting? <laughs> I have an answer. Um, so this was an awesome pep talk. What, what was your inspiration for this video? Uh, so I had had a conversation with another YouTuber, and we were talking about people feeling like they need to be improving or it's not worth doing the hobby. And that was something that I needed to reflect on because that is absolutely how I feel. Uh, The reason I'm still doing mini painting is because I was good at it at the first try. And if I wasn't, uh, I don't know if I would be doing this hobby. And so it was really self-reflection and realizing that I am probably not the only person like this. And you don't need to be good at something to make it worthwhile in doing and so I decided that I was going to do a, uh, a pep talk about it because I think that as someone on YouTube and someone at my skill level, I feel like it's different when I say to do something for fun. Whereas if your friends say it's okay to do something for fun, there is still this different in uh, skill level in what is the word that I'm looking for? Um, damn it. <laughs> Expertise. Yeah, expertise, something like that. It's, it's, you know, it's almost, oh, it's easy for you to say because you're awesome. Exactly. I wanted to make a video that would hopefully waylay people's fears because on I have a Discord for my Patreon. And when people say, hey, I think this sucks, but what do you think? And mm-hmm. I reply saying, no, I think it's good. These are the three things I like about it. That makes them feel more 
confident. And so just my authority and knowledge on the topic can waylay how people feel about mini painting. I love that. That's that's incredible. You talked about that video and empowering people. And I, and I think you nailed it you know, right on the head because the comments certainly exemplify that. What I found is everyone is very encouraging. They tell personal stories. And, and I'm sure you get that a lot with some of your videos, too, and the impact that you have on people. Yeah, I try to be a positive voice. My community is extremely positive and open, and I work very hard to craft that. Um, if anyone joins my Discord on via Patreon, so frequently I get told this is the nicest Discord that we've ever been on. And so that uh, welcoming environment is very important to me. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that we try to do at the Posse where, you know, positivity is is just so important. And, and you know, making people happy, being happy is I know, you know, it sounds meta, but like that's that's the most important thing in life. And it's a hobby. It's supposed to be fun. And, and certainly you you definitely ex- show that in all of your videos. And and as we're on the topic of videos, you know, another one that we found really, you know, really informative and again, inspirational was why you aren't a miniature painter parentheses and how to fix it explain in five minutes i think this was another great video you mentioned the gap and the plateau the question for that is you know how do we recognize it and what can we do to move forward in reference to like the plateau in the video i recommended to always keep one of your miniatures off to the side as a reference so you can see how far you've come off the time I feel like I need to improve every miniature. Every miniature needs to be better than the last. And if that doesn't happen, I sometimes get heartbroken about it. I've spent all this time and hours trying to paint this model. And then if it's not as good as the one directly before it, I feel defeated. But then, for example, in my current Dungeons and Dragons table, we started a campaign about a year ago and I painted everyone's miniatures for the game. And I just redid my own miniature for the game because a new model came out that better fit my character. And so I was looking at the miniatures I painted a year ago for this table compared to the one that I just painted for myself. And I could not believe how much I had improved and hadn't even noticed. Looking back at those old miniatures that I had been so proud of and then looking at them with just awe of, I was so proud of this. And that's a good thing. But I didn't even know I was improving. So sometimes a plateau is, it might seem like you're not improving, but actually you are. So you should always have that reference that you can look back and see how much you've improved. What what really resonated with me was uh, when you talked about the gap, because that's something that, speaking for myself, that I, I struggle is a little bit of a strong term, but like I, I deal with that a lot where you see something, maybe something that someone else did or something cool on Instagram and you're like, ooh, that's amazing. Uh, I, I could do that. And then you try to do that and you find that you cannot do that. And it's it, it's a temporary setback really, but the gap between you know what you think you can do or what you see in your mind and then what you can physically do, sometimes it, you know, for a lot of people, it's really hard to overcome. And you know, how, how do you like, how do you push past that? Because some people just get defeated and they just, Oh, I'll just give up. Cause I can never do this. You know, they see, you know, something and then they try it and then, Oh, mine doesn't look like this guy that's been doing this for 25 years does, but you know, maybe I should just not do this anymore. Uh, honestly, it's that I refuse to fail again, the plateau of you might not be able to see your improvement, but also just that if I'm not good at something, well, so I said I was good at miniature painting right off the bat. And so that's why I stuck with it. But I also have this very 
I have this very deep need to be the absolute best at something. And so I started out good at miniature painting, but I'm not the best. And it is my refusal to be anything but the best that keeps me moving forward, which is not what I recommend for the majority of people. Uh, there's a reason that I'm a YouTuber and you have to be a sort of a different person, have a different mindset to be able to do this job. So if you don't have that, that's totally fine. But that's what kept me moving forward is just the I will be the best uh, and part of it is also because I'm a woman, and this is less so the case these days, but when I started three, four years ago, I could not name another woman miniature painter, and I decided that I was going to be a force to be reckoned with, and I was going to prove it to everybody. And so it's really just my own force of will. <laughs> I mean, you bring up a good point. You know, sadly, there there isn't a lot of representation um, in and you are a force to be reckoned with. You got a sub from me and I'll definitely be checking out the Patreon channel. So, <laughs> you know, a as we look at some more of your videos in a, in a lighter side, you know, <laughs> one of them, I think it probably stands out that TJ is his favorite, a cat's guide to mini painting, how to distract <laughs> your human. So they give up and feed you. And, you know, I only have one cat. Unfortunately, I closed the door to my shop and she just claws at the outside. But TJ has the Brady bunch of cats over at his place. So he has to constantly struggle with, uh, I don't think he struggles. He actually enjoys it. I shouldn't say that. Uh, so, some, sometimes it is a struggle because my one cat, Kylo, who's the one that's closest to me, he, he steals my stuff and I can't close the door where I am because I have an unfinished basement. That's where their cat boxes are. So if I close the door, they can't use the bathroom. So, but then he like gets on my desk and I don't know if you can tell, and I'm sure list, other listeners have heard me say my desk is always a mess. And uh, he steals Q-tips and little pieces of plastic and the, the bags that miniature, like the frames come in, you know, the sprues come in and just carries them all around the house. And it's, oh, it's so frustrating. And his fur is everywhere. That is definitely part of the reason that I have an office. Uh, when I first started, I was just painting in the living room. I was painting a flower witch from Kingdom Death, which is a very limited release model. She's very hard to get and I was painting her as a commission and uh, Mochi had gotten a hold of a piece of her and chewed it apart and I didn't notice till it was too late and I was like, sobbing because it was my first second it was my second commission I'd ever done and it was this really expensive really rare model and Mochi chewed it apart but I was, uh, I was able to find all the pieces and put it back together. So I don't think that my client ever knew. Uh, but so, uh, Nick, if you're listening, sorry, which was completely ruined by my cat. And then I had to painfully re-sculpt it with green stuff. But after that experience of complete heartbreak of ruining this really rare model, it was, okay, I need an office. I can't do this. I am not going through this ever again. <laughs> that's a that's a great story. I'm a dog guy. I like cats. I don't have any, but um, pets are such a big part of our life. Yeah, I can uh, uh, only imagine uh, working on a commission, the horror you must have felt. 
Yeah, the cat, my cats are very personable. They're more like children in that they just want to be involved. As people have seen in my mini painting videos, they just, they think they run the place. They want to be involved. They want to know what I am doing. And yeah, they're very, very, very interested in what I'm doing. Cardamom loves to hunt. He thinks that there's things worth eating on my desk, which there never is. Uh, but he's convinced that there is good things on my desk. And so that's why he always comes and visits. In my most recent video, I talked about how people ask me, why do you let the cat on your lap when you're painting? Isn't that a great way to get cat fur in your miniature paint? And the answer is yes, but it's the only time he's willing to be on my lap. <laughs> so I let it happen so that I can hold my cat. <laughs> that's that, that's so funny because uh, like they Scott was referencing my cat Kylo. He only sits on my lap if I'm down here at my desk. Nowhere else. I could be watching TV. <laughs> he's sitting on any other chair in this house and he just couldn't care less. But as soon as I get in this chair, he's like, all right, it's time to go. And, then, and it's always like it's always when I like I need to get up and go take a picture of something because I have like a separate picture area. He's like just snuggled up. and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, man. Like I gotta get up and go take a picture. And then he gets mad and then he runs off because mm -hmm. how dare I disturb him from his slumber. Yeah, of course. Cats are cats. All there are there are some parts of cats that are always the same. And the how dare you is definitely one of them that just goes across all cats. <laughs> Definitely. This was like um, about three years ago when mm -hmm. you started. So all of the, the miniature paints and the videos and everything, you've all done that in a three-year period. That's amazing. I've been on YouTube for two years. I think that's impressive growth. You know, you see people have YouTube channels and they kind of just slowly grow a following. I mean, you, after two years having 58,000 subs, that's just damn impressive. And I think it goes to show the quality of your work and also the way you approach your videos too. And like you said, it, it goes back to that teaching mind of yours and being able to tell a story and connect with people at every skill level and be able to teach them something that it could be completely foreign to them, or it could be something that they've done a lot and just haven't seen it from your perspective. Yes, that's. I think that my perspective is definitely one of the keys in the fact that since I didn't come at this as a miniature painter, as a war gamer, I came at this from, okay, I basically looked at miniatures online and then said, how do I paint that? Because of that, I've come up with different ways of explaining my techniques because I didn't have any preconceived notions as to how I was supposed to do it. Yeah. And you know what? Let, let's hit on that. I think that's extremely important and something that I'm sure the three of us talking to you struggle with where, you know, we read a lot of scale modeling books, we see articles, we watch YouTube channels, and we kind of have a set way of thinking about how to go through something where I love your approach when you like, I don't know, I see the end result that I want to achieve and I'm going to use my way to get and use the principles that you've had either through formal education or just learning on your own. I think that's very important and probably shows and exemplifies your creativity within these pieces to achieve such a finish. It's also I give private lessons and I get so many YouTube video ideas from those students because mm -hmm. they'll ask me a question and it requires me to step back and break down things that I had taken for granted. Mm -hmm. I was trying to teach someone wet blending and I was trying to explain it to them and I was watching them on the ca on the camera on the computer thinking I don't understand why what you're doing isn't working because you're following my instructions exactly. 
Mm-hmm. So then I had to pull out a miniature and try doing wet blending and re- and realized that the secret that I had learned that I had not consciously learned was using more of the belly of the brush to do wet mm-hmm. blending and not using the tip of the brush because the tip of the brush leaves brush texture. And if you mm-hmm. use the belly, since it disperses the paint more evenly and widely, it mm-hmm. gives a more even finish. And mm-hmm. I had never consciously thought of that until there was this student saying, this isn't working what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. And so teaching just in general has been a huge help. There are so many YouTube videos <laughs> that I will send to one of my students saying, hey, look, you inspired this. <laughs> <laughs> my airbrushing, top airbrushing mistakes, that mm-hmm. video was inspired by a student who found it very funny that I could make a whole video out of all the mistakes that they were making. And I was like, I really hope you're not offended by this, but oh my God, I need to make a video about all of this. <laughs> So you talk about teaching students privately. Are you doing this mostly uh, through online services or do you have some at a local shop? What's the medium in which you use to communicate with your students? I do all of my private teaching online. I would love to do master classes and travel around the country or at least around the Midwest, but currently I am only doing private lessons online, which works well. It definitely works well enough. I would love mm-hmm. to do it in person so that I could see things better, but my students have definitely been learning And I can look at some of my students that I've had for months and I look at where they started and where they are now. And both of us are just amazed by the progress that they have made. That's awesome. Yeah, I would love to see, you know, if you ever offer a class, I've seen some miniature painters go to a hobby shop and maybe they do a weekend thing where, you know, you you pay such a fee, you get the figure and then your professional instruction that that would be really cool to see in the future as well as as we ease through this pandemic, of course. So. Definitely, definitely. It also just, I am so busy. I still have a full-time job. I work as a graphic designer, so I still have a full-time job. And then I'm also doing mini painting and YouTube, and I'm a workaholic in general. Uh, So (laughs) it's just mostly just having time to prep everything that would be required of me to do do an in-person class. Well, that's probably why your cats are all over you. They're like, mom, you need to slow down. You need to sit. You need to you need to take it easy. You need to pay attention to me. Yes, so. exactly. That is definitely it. Uh, you have hands. Why am I not being petted? <laughs> exactly. I don't see you all day. Come sit down. You know, one of the last uh, videos that we picked out just to hit on real quick was uh, a simple topic. We need better miniatures. You know, how, how was the reaction to this video when you when you put it up? So, like we talked about earlier, I always came into this with a bit of a, I don't want to say feminist agenda, but I started doing this because I wanted to see more badass women miniatures. Before I started YouTube two years ago, I made the decision that I was either going to do YouTube and then try to change how women were perceived as miniatures and wanting more badass women miniatures through social influence, for through YouTube, possibly starting my own miniature line, or I was going to learn 3D sculpting and change it that way. And obviously we know which way that I went. But so this video was always coming. So a lot of my comments were that people were so disappointed that I was bringing this up in the hobby and I should just stick to mini painting videos. And I'm just sitting there like, you don't understand, this was always going to happen. It was just a question of when, because I wanted to make sure that I was going to have a big enough support network 
to be able to weather the storm because I was very concerned that this was going to go really, really ugly. Like I scrubbed the internet of my address because I was very concerned that this was going to go south. And it did not. I mean, Mm -hmm. there were some comments. Well, the YouTube algorithm or uh, the comment filter is really good at deleting comments automatically. So I would get a notification that I had gotten a comment, been able to read the first sentence, seen that it said something like feminazi bitch, and then YouTube automatically <laughs> deleted it. <laughs> so, uh, but I did have to turn off notifications for that because it was like getting negative energy, negative words, just literally to my phone. It's like they were, cause I got, it was getting a notification every time someone commented. I had to turn them off because it was just at any moment I might be call me drinking coffee and then just get this absolutely horrific one sentence before YouTube auto deleted it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so because YouTube auto deleted the majority of those comments, it went pretty well. If Mm -hmm. YouTube didn't do that, I don't know how it would have gone. But because of that auto comment or auto comment filter, it went pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) People were sharing my YouTube video all over, so on Reddit and Facebook, and people were screenshotting it and sending it to me because other people were watching it and sharing it and starting conversations. And Mm -hmm. I was a very hot topic or a hot button topic for like a week. And it was very, it was very, very interesting. And when I recorded that video, I tried to come up with all the arguments that people would make against my topic and try to Mm -hmm. cut it off at the pass and be like, I know you're going to say, well, there are shirtless men. Why isn't that bad? Like, why, why aren't you talking about how horrible it is for shirtless men? Why aren't shirtless men being sexualized? And so I tried to cut all that stuff off of like, I know this is the argument you're going to have. And so I'm going to explain it to you. And it still did not click for everyone. I think some people just don't want to hear it or just think I'm wrong automatically. Some people 100% didn't even watch the video. I could tell from the comments of, I talk about this and it's very obvious to me that you did not even watch. You heard the intro and decided, (laughs) so, but overall it went very well. (laughs) (laughs) Lila, on the other side of that, I mean, obviously the initiation of the conversation is a positive step, but what were some positive feedbacks or some positive um, messages that came back from it. I don't want to just focus on the negative. So I'm sure, surely you had some people that were inspired by what you had to say. Yes, I definitely had people comment saying that they had heard that women were being sexualized in in the miniature world, but didn't understand why or what that looked like. And they knew that this was a topic that they should probably be aware of, but they couldn't identify it. And so me laying out some guidelines, definitely not rules, but like guidelines of things to consider. Definitely, uh, I got a lot of comments saying that that was extremely helpful because now they could look at a miniature and make an informed decision of, do I want to download that? Do I want to buy that from my mini factory and support this type of artwork being continued? Or do I want to Or do I want to say, you know what, that badass woman in plate mail, that's what I want to put my money towards. That's the kind of models that I want to see in the world. And so that's what I'm going to support. I also got a lot of my daughter paints miniatures. My daughter's into D&D and I want her to be able to have the sorts of models that you're looking at. And so I really appreciate uh, you 
putting that message out there. And then lastly, it's been really great because a lot of companies have reached out to me saying, we do badass women. We want to support you. And it's companies that I I had never heard of before, but they watched the video and said, we are doing this. We are a small company. We need to work together to get this out there. So it has definitely been good. Just market wise for me, because not only is it me getting sponsorships, but getting sponsorships that I'm really passionate about and that I'm excited to get to share the models that fit my ideals. Yeah, I think I think it was great. I thought I thought your tone was fantastic. You were very honest. You know, you mentioned that you had painted some figures that, you know, maybe um, were a little over the line, according to your guidelines that you set. I, I, I didn't think it was confrontational, but I thought it was bringing light to a matter that that's really important. It, you know, from a, a bit of an outsider, I want to paint minis. I haven't done any of that yet. I'm just kind of learning what I think is I think a lot of people stay away from the fact fantasy end of miniatures because of this very factor. I I think it sort of on a a very, very neutral, not taking a stand level, having figures that are a little more, I'm just going to say cartoony, the way that bodies are are portrayed and everything. I think it takes away from the more serious elements of the hobby, the artistic elements, because people that might want to paint those females don't want to paint females that are represented in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely can be a roadblock because I very easily could have looked at the models that were available four years ago and gone, all of these are sexy. I don't want to be in this hobby. Whereas instead, I looked at them and said, these models are sexy. I need to change that. You know, you mentioned um, being a, a professor and having an art background, but the way that you see color and, you know, your your minis are very, very vibrant. I mean, is that kind of the root of where all this starts for you? Because you seem like really, really adept at uh, bringing bright and vivid colors into everything that you do. So magenta is my favorite color. So if I can find a way to put a magenta in, then that's what I do. I actually didn't even notice that magenta was my favorite color until I looked at my Instagram one day and went, wow, they're all pink. (laughs) 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 And so honestly, it's more about finding ways to put my favorite colors in, which just happens to be very vibrant. Uh, My favorite shadow color is Brick Red by Reaper, and it is a very deep red like uh almost like a blood red it's my favorite color to use for shadows and there's a bit of a joke around my fan base that the answer is always purple if you don't know what color to use the answer is purple so it's more about just where can i put purple or magenta into this model but also i love color contrast and so using complementary colors so like orange and blue yellow and purple is a really great way to be able to draw the eye in certain directions and really i just love color <laughs> so and it has a lot to do with me wanting to put the colors in that I love and also being able to draw the eyes where I want them to go. So where do you where do you get color inspiration? I mean, do you look at like flowers or animals or seascapes or is it just all in your mind? I mean, where where does your color palette when you when you see a gray miniature and you start to formulate the plan in your mind, where do those inspirations come from? 
say it really depends on the model. Uh, sometimes I look at a model and I immediately know what I want to do. Sometimes I look at the story of the model. Like, for example, if I'm painting Warhammer, I'll look at... So I don't know anything about Warhammer. I've never actually played Warhammer. I don't have any interest in playing Warhammer, but it does really well on the algorithm. So I paint <laughs> Warhammer for YouTube for the algorithm. But I will look into what the background of a certain faction is and decide to paint it that way. I painted a diorama that is a space wolf vs a chaos marine and both of those have a lot of gold on their armor and I decided you know what I don't know anything about Warhammer I don't know if this is true or not but I bet that their armor is crafted on different planets therefore the gold alloys that they're using probably are not the exact same so I'm going to paint their gold slightly different so that I can add that little bit of difference so that I can tell a more unique story that really makes it look like these two soldiers are from different worlds if I use the same gold then it's just gold that doesn't help me anywhere so I try to think of uh, what story could I be telling with the colors within my scene I want to uh, ask you a question. Well, not really a question. I want to tell you that my favorite thing that you've painted is the Baba Yaga, the Black Mother bust. Oh, yes. That is, it's so amazing. Um, I know I've shared it in, uh, we have like group chats. I know I've shared it there. I shared it again this morning because a lot of, uh, they all know that we we're going to talk to you today. Can you just walk me through that? Like I, that, yeah, that piece is just phenomenal. Do you have it? Oh, you do, don't you? Oh, yeah. She's on my wall. I love her. Oh, it yeah, is absolutely. so good. Oh, no, there's spider webs on it. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Those are meant to be there. Absolutely. <laughs> I removed them. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so first of all, like I talked about, my favorite color is magenta. So there's a lot of magenta on here. And I actually prefer working with the CMYK color wheel, not the RGB color wheel. In short, uh, CMYK is uh, the printer color wheel. So if you, as a graphic designer, when I'm sending something to print at an industrial printer, they use CMYK, which is cyan, magenta, and yellow, and the K is black. But those colors, when you mix them together, create a lot more vibrancy. So since magenta is my favorite color, I use the CMYK color wheel. But anyway, so green is the opposite of magenta on the CMYK color wheel. So I use a lot of uh, green and magenta on this model. Also, I love zombies, which sounds really weird. was very into The Walking Dead for a very long time. And so getting to paint this zombie face was something that I was very excited about. And lastly, I have this thing. A lot of my art projects when I was doing photography were based on the idea of the duality between beauty and fear. So sort of like when you see a car crash, why do people look? Like you don't actually want to see anything, but you, you still look. Mm -hmm. And so this idea between this push and pull of I want to look, but I'm scared of what I might see. So I wanted to paint this gorgeous face. I used uh, Scarlett Johansson as the uh, my face reference. So if you look at her mask, it's supposed to look like Scarlett Johansson. But there were also actually multiple arms that came with this model. So she could have been holding up a mirror. And then there was something else as well. But I specifically went with the face so that I could have that duality between this horrific monster hiding behind this very rosy cheek, pink-lipped face. 
I just bought a CMK, a CMYK color wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you want to paint vibrant colors, CMYK is definitely the way to go. Uh, Just because they mix so much more beautifully, when you mix red and blue paint, you get this very watered down purple. You don't actually get like this really great purple. And that's the problem with the RGB color wheel and why I prefer the CMYK color wheel. Yeah, you you know, you, you bring up an interesting topic and I don't paint many miniatures or figures because I find that when I start mixing colors, they become very desaturated and I'm always disappointed with the color tones. They're not as vibrant. So your comment around the CMYK color wheel really resonates with me and it's something that I'm going to try and, and go out and buy literally those three paints and start to understand the basic principles of that color wheel and the vibrancy because that's something I certainly lack with in, in my miniature painting or lack thereof. I highly recommend the Chimera paint if you're going to do CMYK, specifically with mixing in mind, because it will make the single pigment makes a huge difference. Yeah, I'll have to find a U.S. source for them. While we're talking about paints, you mentioned uh, Chimera. What are some other paints that you like to use that you use a lot in your work? Um, So I don't actually own a lot of paints. I mean, in comparison to probably what someone would expect at my level. Uh, because my office is tiny and I just don't have space for it. Uh, So I have a very limited range of paints, but my stereotypical favorite other than Chimera is Reaper because I think that they're extremely beginner friendly. You don't have to thin them. You can layer them up in one or two coats. You can get the exact opacity that you need. The other paint that I have been practicing with that I don't have enough experience with to decide how much I like them is Pro Acryl. I only have a small handful of those paints, but of the paints of theirs that I do have, I love it. I need to pick up a few more colors so I can test out the whole range before I back it fully. But so far, I have been very impressed with Pro Acryl as well. Have you used Scale 75? I have, and it's thick. Yeah. As someone who has no problem thinning, that's totally fine, but I'm hesitant to recommend a paint that absolutely requires thinning to beginners. So I like it. It's fine. I I use it because I own it. If I had none of my color ranges overlap, like I have my red is from Reaper and my blue is from uh, Fantasy and Game, I just don't have enough space to have multiple colors of multiple things. Since I don't have multiple colors that overlap throughout the brand, overall, Reaper is my favorite because of the consistency. But Scale 75 is fine. Fantasy and Game is fine. Citadel, I don't bother with. Army Painter, I hate, and Chimera is the superior paint. Yeah, I use I use a fair amount of Scale 75 just because my local store stocks it. Yeah. There's some really, really good colors that I really enjoy, but like those are the only, like I don't I probably have maybe twelve because when I was just, you know, oh, that looks like a cool color paint, like I, I go there and if I don't leave with something, I kind of feel guilty. So like I'll just buy this one bottle of paint. So I'll look at a cool color and be like, oh, maybe I'll find something to use this with. And I usually don't, but it just gets thrown into a, a bin with all the other ones. But do you use many like Vallejo uh, paints? I have never used Vallejo, which I know is uh, very controversial because so many people <laughs> love Vallejo. I've never used Vallejo. It's okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I like it. I, yeah. I think, I think it's I think people use it because it's very easy to get. 
it's ubiquitous. We can pick them up at any local hobby shop. We have the ability to get them at Hobby Lobby. Um, and, and I think they're a beginner-friendly paint because I am a beginner when it comes to figure painting and hand brushing. So I, I, f- I have a, a decent range of them, and I've, I've found them to be uh, – you know, they're good. They're not, they're not knocked down the walls awesome, um, but I, I think they're good. Okay. What about your airbrushing? I've seen that, you, you know, you do quite a bit of airbrushing, which is great. That's kind of what, you know, what we all do on our models. So what do you like to airbrush? Do you just use the same paint? I do, for the most part, use the same paint. When I first started painting, I got several airbrush paints because I had no idea what I was doing with thinning and was mostly focusing on not breaking the airbrush, which I thought was going to happen at any moment. So these days, I actually airbrush with my Chimera paints and I thin them down with inks. Inks are one of my absolute favorite thing. Uh, once you, once someone gets to be a more advanced painter, highly recommend inks. Now, are you for inks? Are you using a branded hobby product or traditional artist inks that you can pick up at like Michaels or or a Hobby Lobby? I use Scale Color Intensity Set because I can always count on the consistency and the opacity to be the same. Uh, Daler Rowney also comes out with inks, but you have to check the opacity. Some of them are near transparent and some of them are full opaqueness. And I know I was very disappointed when I got hot pink and realized it was <laughs> nigh completely translucent and I didn't understand what that black square versus the white square meant on the bottle. Uh, so I recommend uh, scale color just so that you always know what you're getting. Nice. That's good to know. Yeah, inks are like kind of on the traditional scale modeling side they're they're kind of like getting over there they're not i mean if you watch youtube painters that doing miniatures it's everyone uses inks it's it's very common but on the traditional scale model side that's it's kind of getting there like more people are using them not quite there yet but hopefully uh, i've never used them and i want to but i know that a lot of people do so that's that's really good with my love of using complementary colors, so like purple in the shadows and then green in the highlights to give that uh, vibrancy, you can sort of cheat and use inks to create that same effect. So I could do uh, green highlights and green shadows and then go in with a purple ink to tint it mm-hmm. to be able to get that complementary color without necessarily having to paint the whole thing. So I like inks because they let me cheat a lot more than really trying to figure out how the frick do I paint purple to green because that's <laughs> like I'll say it that's a I'm good at this and that's still a so <laughs> I like using uh inks because they help me cheat a lot more so since we were talking about what paint you like what are your favorite miniature companies so if you want to if you want to buy a miniature just just for you like who, who are you going to go to I know you've mentioned Reaper Minis they're hit or miss. I, I think everyone knows that some are really good, some are not so good. Um, what do you, what do you look for? Uh, so, Loot is one of my favorite Loot Studios. They are a three D STL printing company. They have sponsored me a lot, and I wish they would sponsor me every month because I love almost everything that they come out with. Where else do I look? Uh, Big Child Creative. That's a really good one. Oh, hold on. I got a. I have a bust. Who is this from? Hera I models. just bought a hair models bus like good last ones. week. I don't have it yet. Um, it's one of the science fiction ones. What one ones. did you get? Oh crap! It's like NX nineteen or something. It's some. He's he's got like some sort of like mask on. It's really cool. I, it was a toss up between that one and one of the fantasy ones, but I I lean more towards science fiction, so I grabbed him. 
So Hera Models just came out with this Kickstarter. Sorry, I probably shouldn't be talking when I'm opening a box. Oh, it's Hera- authentic. <laughs> Hera Models just did this Kickstarter of a bunch of like badass women. And so this miniature, she's basically looks like she's a, a space marine but it's a Sisters of Battle style head. So it's very much the, uh, yeah, it looks like this is a, it's just a woman in really badass, basically space marine armor. And so I saw her and went, that is exactly the (laughs) type of heresy that I want in my life. So (laughs) I'm very excited to paint her uh, one day. One day I'll paint her. So is that H-E-R-A, Hera? Yes, H-E-R-A models.com. Their logo is a cat, so I'm absolutely here for it. Got to represent and support those uh, cat companies. Honestly, mostly what I paint these days is sponsored sponsored stuff or Warhammer because that's what does well on the internet. But for pers- my personal stuff, I am mostly looking at a lot of those very boutique niche companies that have the badass women that I want to paint. Oh, <laughs> I was like, do I need to keep going? <laughs> I know. I, I was over at HeraModels.com looking at what I need to buy. I mean, I'm well. There sorry, goes the interview. We're all bu- we're all buying bus. <laughs> well, I'm still struggling to find Chimera paint too. It's so. Uh, have you heard of Sable Miniatures? Lila? Not offhand. At least the name okay. doesn't mean anything. If I okay. saw one of them, perhaps, but the name doesn't mean anything offhand. So they're they're a retailer here in the states, and and they cover they carry some really good stuff. Um, I'll I'll send you information over afterwards. Uh, but they, they're really nice. The the owners are awesome. I mean, one of them's both of them are world class figure painters and miniature painters. So we'll definitely connect you. But they're a great source for brushes. They had come here paint, but it looks like they're sold out. Probably TJ went and bought it while we were talking. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, talking about you, you know your source of you know painting and, and the subject matter for that for that fact, you know, I want to go a different direction a little bit and something that we didn't have written down. Have you thought about or considered you know collaboration projects? Is that something in the miniature world where you know maybe somebody makes a base, sends it to you, and then you complement it with a figure? What are your thoughts around that? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Do you mean collaboration as in like working with a company to create something or do you mean working amongst other YouTubers or other creators, other creators? Yeah. Um, I have participated in a couple different collaborations. Uh, The Monster Bash collaboration was my first big one. It had Trent from Miscast and uh, Jazza from Jazza Does Art. And basically uh, we had... Everyone had to draw, I think it was 20 monster bits. So like an arm, a leg, a tail. And then we drew, each of us then drew seven cards at random. And we had to create a monster out of those seven cards. Oh, which, nice. Which was very difficult for me because I am not a sculptor. Oh. Basically, Trent from Miscast said, hey, this isn't really up your alley, but do you want to do this? And without even, know what, what, <laughs> without even knowing what it was, I said, I want to work from Trent from Miscast. I will do this. And then found out what it was and went, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, so uh, I've done that as a collaboration. That's awesome. I would love to collaborate with other YouTubers, Dana Howell and I are trying to set something up. It keeps being that one of us is free and then the other one's busy. And so we're sort of playing a tag as to when are we both going to be available to do a collaboration. Mm -hmm. But uh, to be honest, I kind of just tug along like my own little train on my own little track. I'm very independent and I'm just going on going as I go. 
So I'd love to collaborate with others, but right now I'm just chugging along on my own. Oh, I'm looking forward to a collaboration between you and Dana Howe. I love her videos too. They're, they're great. Yeah, absolutely. She's so wonderful. I think she's very down to earth like I am. And so one of these days we're going to get together. Do you guys, um, do you ever consider doing maybe like a, a live stream where you get other content creators or artists and just have roundtable discussions on, on the hobby? I have uh, have only ever done one live stream and it was so long ago <laughs> that I did it on my phone. <laughs> Nice. Uh, my equipment has progressed quite a bit, and I have not yet done a live stream. Uh, there's a couple uh, painters on Twitch that would love to have me collaborate with them, and it's just one of those neither of us know how we would make it work between Twitch and YouTube. Uh, so it is definitely something that has come up in conversation, but just the uh, actual accomplishing of it because i'm not set up for streaming i'm set up for youtube so trying to figure out how we would be able to do it is what has been holding us back who are some you know speaking about that this subject and other creators who are some people whose work really inspire you do you mean youtubers who really inspire me or painters who really inspire me both okay uh craft world studios on instagram oh my god their use of colors it's just they're so painterly, and it's it's very obvious that they come at this from a painting background, not from a, a miniature background. Flameons, also on Instagram, his blends, like, I, I wish I had enough time to be able to blend like he blends. It looks <laughs> like witchcraft. Like, I have no idea. As the mini witch, I still look at that and think, Okay, apparently I sold my soul to the wrong <laughs> devil because there's apparently a superior one above what I sold myself to, and how do I change my pact? Uh, <laughs> but otherwise, Devs and Dice on YouTube I really like. He does mostly terrain stuff, but I see some of his terrain builds, and they're just they're really fun videos, and his uh, terrain building I always find very inspiring of, I need to go paint something to, uh, to match the terrain that he's building. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, some of the videos we talked about earlier where you've done some terrain work and some base work, your use of bark, it's really terrific. I think it's an area that um, you're really, really good at. How do you feel like you've grown in the in those non-painting areas of, of your hobby? That's funny because I hate doing bases. I think I'm, I'm stuck with at you bases. There. <laughs> I feel that. There was a reason that the video I did, uh, the five reasons you're not painting and how to fix it, was me doing a base because it was, I think I'm so bad at doing bases. Uh, that but was that, terrific. Thank you. It was for a commission, so I had to do it. I Normally, I try to like sneak <laughs> past, but I was getting paid to do it, so I had to do it. Uh, but the secret I learned is having three textures on your base. Those those three t- three different textures. So not just different colors of grass. No, not good enough. Three different textures of foliage is what you need in order to create a realistic base. I loved how you carved away the wood and then fit the fit the different pieces of bark to it, then blended it together. And then like you said, you bring in different textures and elements. It it really just tied it together. And you know, I always kind of tugging on TJ to do more with basing because, you know, the miniatures he does are are amazing. But I think having them on a base like that really can, in a lot of cases, take that work to the next level. 
as a presentation? Bases are a great way to tell a story. So my client for that commission specifically requested having like broken monuments, broken statues, this like ruins that this individual was exploring. And so it was a lot of fun for me wanting to do gray stone, but then also painting uh, the miniature that went with that base had silver armor. And so how was I going to paint that so that I, I didn't want the stone and the armor to be the same colors because, first of all, that's boring. And secondly, that's unrealistic. So how can I differentiate those colors so that they still look like they're made out of silver for the armor and then gray stone for the stone? It was definitely a fun challenge to try to figure out how could I paint silver slash gray, but make them look like different materials. It was fascinating. That tool that you had that you laid down in the the sculpting clay to make the tiles and then taking those and breaking them in different pieces. I thought that was a really interesting process. Yeah, that was uh, from Green Stuff World. They have their rollers. Their rollers are fantastic. This is why I think it's so important to break down barriers between genres because a lot of the stuff like that, like those rollers, I mean, that's not anything that so-called traditional plastic modelers that we really, that I've seen at least. So it's it's really awesome to be able to see products like that because you can bring them over and they have applications in other hobbies for sure. Yeah. One thing that I really love about the scale model world is that like we talked about, each one's really art and that's what I do. I might paint Warhammer, but I want each one to be art. So when I'm painting, like I said, when I was painting that silver armor in this diorama I just did, I used purple to create that silver armor, which is a far more artistic liberty, but I using purple shadows up to that more traditional silver highlight was able, was how I was able to make it look like different textures. And so being able to approach miniatures with that far more artistic mindset makes a huge difference. I was recently asked in a different interview uh, if I thought that miniature painters should have an art background. Is it required for all miniature painters to know art history and know about traditional painting? And I said, if you want to just paint for the tabletop, absolutely not. If you want to take time and really make each piece unique, then it's probably worth it. If you want to create a masterpiece, absolutely. Well, while we're, while we're talking about models, um, you had thrown us a bone earlier. I'm not going to let that go. But you had talked about maybe wanting at some point to find some plastic models to build. What are some subjects you might be interested in, in uh, doing along those lines? Hmm. I mean, mostly all I paint is people. Uh, when I was doing photography, I also only photographed people. So it's always been, it's always been people for me. I draw people, photograph people, I paint people. <laughs> mostly women. <laughs> I think if I could find a model that would help me tell a story or that I could make some sort of story to go around, then I would be interested in painting such a thing. If I can use interesting terrain or interesting battle damage or colors to be able to tell more of a story other than just painting a machine, then that is definitely something that I would be interested in. So you've mentioned about maybe coming out with your own line of miniatures. What um, what do you see yourself making? What would you like to make besides badass women? Oh, badass women. Easy. <laughs> uh, but other things I would love to do is uh, do body types that aren't seen very frequently. 
So as a lover of art history, it's very interesting to me to look at what body types were seen as beautiful throughout the ages. And I would love to create miniatures that are more representational of that historical preference as well as what people just look like nowadays. One thing that happens is that a lot of the male miniatures there is a range between how attractive they are when they're sculpted, whereas women miniatures are almost always drop-dead gorgeous or absolutely horrific witches. And I think that painting more, or and I think that having more variety to be equal to what is uh, available in men's sculpts is something I would like to do, as well as uh, sculpting things that don't necessarily have a gender assigned to them. Like if I was going to create fae miniatures, they're fae who like make them androgynous. I don't know. I don't need to be able to look at a miniature and be able to tell that's a man or that's a woman. If it's something fantastical, why is gender so directly sculpted into it? Uh, this is something we ask everyone that comes on our podcast. Uh, do you have a magnum opus project? Something that would, is your pinnacle of creativity or, or, or whatever. And it could be any something you want to sculpt, something you want to paint, just what is what would you like or what would you think your like definitive work would be? Well, this is actually amusing because it's going to go slightly against everything I just talked about. The miniature that I first saw on the internet that made me go, holy crap, I want to paint miniatures is the Flower Witch. It's actually one of the ones that I talked about before. It was that first commission that I almost ruined. Uh, but I saw someone paint the Flower Witch uh, for crystal brush and I saw that and that's when I looked at miniatures and said holy crap this could be art I want to paint that and so the flower witch is a big boob small waist she's got uh just leaves <laughs> covering her she, it's very scantily clad but that is the model that I saw and went that's I'm going to do this I can I can make this into art. So I would love to have the opportunity to paint another one of her. Uh, I painted her as my very first commission because I was so excited, but that was also three years ago and kind of wish I hadn't painted her right off the bat because I would love to have uh, painted her now. The client that that was for is for a collector, so he wants me to paint his entire Kingdom Death collection. So I could have put it off until I was better and painted it now, but I was just so excited. But being able to find her on eBay, she's like 200 bucks, 160 bucks, something like that, if you can even find her. So one day I would love to have the opportunity to paint her again, because that's really what started everything. That's awesome. Do you do many um, science fiction subjects or is it mostly fantasy? I mean, most of what I've seen from you is definitely on the fantasy side. Uh, it's mostly fantasy because I enjoy using these things on my D&D table. That's one of the perks is that my husband then, my husband is the DM. So he gets to create uh, all these stories and everything featuring these miniatures that I've painted. So in order to get some amount of use of them other than just painting them for fun, uh, I generally stick with fantasy just so that I can use them on the Dungeons & Dragons table. So the most sci-fi that I normally get is uh, Warhammer. But occasionally there are sci-fi models that are just so cool that I'm willing to paint them, even though they technically don't fall into my favorite genre. Would you consider a historical bust? Absolutely. If it was the right one, I absolutely would. Um, I actually have some Civil War uh, miniatures or figures that I uh, 
I bought to paint for my grandfather. My grandparents, they raised me. They're wonderful. They do not understand this hobby. Uh, every time I call and talk to them, they're like, how's teaching going? Have you gotten the professorship yet? And I'm like, nope, just, <laughs> just YouTube. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. And so I bought these. Yeah, but you have 58,000 students that attend your YouTube class. Uh, you know, exactly. But uh, <laughs> so I bought some Civil War models just off of eBay. I can't even tell you who they are or what company is or anything because it was just a lot I found on eBay. But my grandfather is very much into the Civil War. And so I want to paint one of those for him as sort of like a, see, look, this is what I am doing. I can connect the dots between all of us. So I'm definitely interested in it, especially because, like we talked about earlier, it's more like art. Scale modelers and historical figures and specifically approach it very differently than what people who paint Warhammer is. And I feel like in some ways I might fit into that world better. But since I like painting women, there just aren't that many options in the historical world of uh, women miniatures for me to paint. So I can say, at least as far as busts go, they're getting better. There's a couple of companies that are trying to up the representation of women in the historical con context because, you know, uh, shocker uh, or a spoiler alert, there's always been women and they had important roles in history, even though it's usually all that you hear about is the men. But um, I think Alexandros Miniatures, I think that's the name of it. I just bought one of their bus. It's a, a Russian sniper who was real. I can't. And for the life of me, I cannot remember her name. She was an actual served in World War Two. She did not survive the war, but that company has started to make some more. I just got this one, which is a militia woman from the Spanish Civil War. I think this is FER miniatures. Um, all they make is bus. Um, I've done one before. Yeah. This oh, is, yes, I think, a relatively I new one. It's the CNT Militia Woman. Fan they're fantastic sculpts. I mean, FER miniatures are great. And they've started to do that as well more, and which I appreciate because I like historical stuff and I want to paint you know, both men and women from history and not just a bunch of old, crusty white dudes. Because it's like all you ever see, it's like some douchebag on a horse. And they're like, OK, yeah, there's like 800 million of those. Can we paint something that's not that? So they're, they're definitely... It's not as great as I would like them to be, but there's more coming out. And I think a handful of companies are making the push to you know, in include more women in their historical lines. I just I just dropped a few in the chat here. Life Miniatures is another really good brand. They're out of uh, South Korea. Their sculpts and their painting is fantastic. But the first World War II Red Army female sniper is a badass looking sculpt. Grace of Monaco is a little bit more tame, but the the first one, the Red Army Sniper, is just there's so much emotion in it, and it's just it's just a really good piece, I think. I love busts because I love the tiny detail work, working with color zones of the face, and knowing that the forehead is usually more yellow in tone because uh, it's the skin is closer to the bone, whereas the cheeks and nose are usually more red in tone because there's more muscles as well as more blood vessels there that tints that skin. So having the opportunity to paint all of those things is one of the things I really love. Back to the uh, the Baba Yaga Black Mother. I love her because getting to paint undead flesh was so 
fun getting to use those colors that you normally don't get to use and so those little tiny details are one of the things that i really love so getting to do more of that on a bigger canvas is one of the reasons i love painting busts and and you know you normally like with as far as busts go the 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 actual sculpt is normal they're usually so good and it's they like they it's because of the large scale they're able just to put every little detail in someone's face and their head and even like their upper chest it's like they just beg to be painted and spend the time to to really bring out those details there's so these guys know i'm a big i love bus um i've only done a few and i've bought a whole bunch recently so looking forward to doing more but to to me like a bus is a good way if if you don't paint miniatures to start painting miniatures i think even though they can be intimidating because of the large amount of skin usually, but the, the, just the level of detail is usually so good and the sculpts are fantastic. It's this very interesting balancing act between painting something larger, which seems like it would be more intimidating, but sometimes painting the smaller things is so much more difficult because you have to have great brush control. You need to add more contrast in something smaller to make it look realistic, where you can get away with a lot less contrast if you're painting something larger because it interacts with the actual ambient light in a different way. So sometimes painting the larger models seems like it's going to be scarier, but it's actually a uh, easier learning curve, especially if things like the iris is sculpted in or the eyebrows are sculpted in. If you can get a model that has all of those details sculpted in already, it makes things a lot easier. So they, the the company Life Miniatures also does a fantasy line, and there's some women in that as well, mostly focused on women. There's one where it's called Surrounded, where she's holding a puppy, and she has a I know 45. That one. Oh, it's so sweet. Again, so much emotion with the zombie hands coming out underneath. Yeah, absolutely. And I have I have one of their busts here. I can't paint busts, so that's why I'm not painting them yet. But they are they are very crisp. They're just hard to find sometimes in the states. With with most good sculpts, it's 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 just tough. I wish I had more time to paint busts uh, since I'm usually painting for YouTube. I actually don't get to spend as much time as I would like on miniatures that I'm painting. The most recent video that I came out with was uh, the No Bullshit Guide to Miniature Painting. And it was basically what corners you can cut still end up with a good paint job. One of the things I talk about is choose the most important areas and then paint those really, really well. And like the base or like fur or anything like that, just do your wash and do your dry brush and call it good. And I had such a hard time with that, even though that was the whole point of the video. It was, no, Lila, no, don't do it. Don't paint that. That's not part of the video. <laughs> you mentioned how much time you spend. I'd be curious if, if you're willing to talk about it. You know, for, fin- for your painting, how many hours a week do you think you're dedicating to it? Uh, the paint, uh, painting, I probably paint four hours a day. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, probably. Uh, I, my day job is incredibly flexible, which is one of the reasons that I still have it. If it wasn't as flexible as it is, I would probably uh, say, (laughs) it. I'm going to go try to do YouTube right now. I work from 7.30 to 3 p.m. And then I come home and I paint basically until it's time to go to bed and I see my husband at dinner time. <laughs> uh, so, but, but 
we plan out days that I'm going to, I, we basically have to schedule quality time together because like I said, I'm a workaholic. I will just work the whole time. Part of it's me being a workaholic and part of it is that I love what I do. So it doesn't seem like work. And so mm -hmm. I'm having so much fun that I really need to tear myself away. So that's why I only do two or three videos a month is because I could do it. I very easily could do it. I would probably enjoy doing it, but that's not very good for the rest of my life balance. Uh, but so, yeah, I probably spend about four hours a day painting. So where do you fit in editing for YouTube? Uh, I wake up at about 4 a.m. <laughs> oh, there it is. I was like, where? <laughs> I'm also, honestly, I am not as fast as I should be uh, because I'm a perfectionist. I, I want to paint everything to the best of my ability, and I have a very difficult time not doing that. So I could probably paint faster. I could cut more corners, uh, but I just don't want to. And this is still supposed to be fun. And so do, and doing all that detail work is what I really enjoy. So I do try to schedule in time uh, to make sure I do that. But there are a lot of, uh, of my models that if you don't see the back of the model in the video, it's because I didn't paint it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I do that, that makes all total the time. Sense. Yeah, I mean... You hear box diorama, you know, modelers that they're like, yeah, we don't paint the backs of figures or things that won't be seen. You know, you can't waste time on it. And especially in your case, you know, when you're, you know, that, that production tempo and wanting to create that content, you know, if it's not going to be seen, you, you can still sleep at night, not painting it. <laughs> yeah. There is uh, a video I released last week, two weeks ago, and it was how to paint bold miniatures. And it is this very vibrant uh, Celestine the Living Saint from Warhammer 40k. And she's got this gorgeous magenta to gold armor and these huge wings and this big sword. And she is held together with <laughs> hot glue and blue poster tack for the video because uh, I rushed painting her so much that I actually need to strip her and start again, which is heartbreaking but uh yeah i accidentally rushed too much and so now i need to strip her and so i didn't want to assemble it the whole way since i'm gonna have to strip it so she's uh, held together with blue poster tack for the <laughs> thumbnail and then i edited it out <laughs> that's awesome well lila you know we've talked a lot about your youtube channel and also your patreon channel so i want to talk about that so on youtube you are uh, lila mev the mini witch i think you've got like uh, 70 videos over there now that people can watch that is correct 70 is the number and then if people are interested in maybe having a little bit more personal interactions with you you've got a patreon account as, as well that is correct. On my Patreon, you get behind the scenes uh, pictures. You could devote in polls of what colors I should paint things. It's a lot more personal. Like if you want to interact with me and uh, support me as a person and not just learn from me, then you want to be on Patreon. I really, I've really built this great, amazing community on my Patreon. And it's basically like we're all just friends. So if you want to become my friend and get access to me, the cats, uh, interact more with the channel, then Patreon is definitely the place to be. Patreon.com, uh, Lila Mev or? Lila Mev. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been an absolute blast. It's been awesome to uh, get to talk to you and hear the person behind this amazing artwork that you do. Again, listeners, make sure you go out, check her YouTube channel out, check her Patreon channel out. She's She just paints incredible miniatures and uh, it's been a lot of fun getting to know you. 
Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I hope that everyone enjoys listening to this. <laughs> for sure. I, gu- I guarantee it. Guarantee <laughs> it. Well, guys, I think that's about it for episode 43. Please join us again in two weeks for episode 44 for more fun and discussion all about scale modeling. Thanks again for joining us. And as a reminder, you can send us feedback at plasticpossipodcast at (laughs) gmail.com. Just a reminder, everyone, have fun, build models, be kind to each other. We hope to see you at a local show, support your local clubs and your local businesses for the hobby. And we will see you next time. Yeehaw! Nice. Sexy.